0: Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
3: Forsberg to the line, Yossi shot on, rebound, they've scored! For the second straight period, the Blues give up the lead. Late wrap around by Sanford, and he scores. Grice was slow to get to the post on the wraparound. Sanford tucks
1: it in. And it's a three on Krug. Far side Predators shoot it on, rebound, and score. Drive wide, ricocheted out in front, and it's at the goal line and in. That's going to be a power play goal. 5-2 Nashville. That'll do it. Predators beat the Blues 6-2, and the Blues 0-2 in the Central Division. That was Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale on the call last night as the Blues lose their third straight game, their second in the last three against the Central Division, a 6-2 final score to the Nashville Predators, and alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, who is sitting in for BK with us today. I'm Alex Ferrario, and we are here at the E&B Granite Studios out at Centine Community Ice Center. And, JR, you picked the perfect day to come sit in because the world is falling right now. Chicken Little, the Blues have lost three straight. It's over.
4: Come on, man, 79-3. and three. It's still possible. It's
1: possible. You know, Tanner texted me last night, and he said, Mathematics are telling me they'll never win another game. And I tend to disagree. 79-3 and three seems like a good overall record.
4: Yeah, no, after that 3-0 start, uh, people were really high on this team. And I think there's still a lot of reason to be high on this team. But going through some issues right now, and we'll get into those in the next few hours, Alex. But definitely execution, puck management, doing the right thing with the puck. You hear Chris Kerber
1: there on that call, and he says three on Krug. That's happened a lot this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and let's start there because that's what I feel like is the biggest takeaway, not just from that game last night, JR, but really from... Two of the last three losses because that game against the Winnipeg Jets, it's the defense. And when I say defense, I'm not talking specifically defensemen. I'm talking the five men that are on the ice playing defense. We saw the best of it against the Edmonton Oilers when they shut them out 2 0 last Saturday. And I think we saw some good things in that Edmonton Oilers loss that the Blues had at home. But has the defense reverted back to where they were last season prior to Nick Letty acquisition because I mean you've been you've been outscored now what is it nine to three you've thirteen to three in your last three games in these losses you've been outshot every period with the exception of four of them this season I mean, defensively, it seems like the Blues are, are kind of towing back to the line of what they were last year. Yeah, a couple things. So when we say defensively, and we've been talking about this for years, Alex, we're not
4: just talking about the defensemen. We're talking about the forwards getting back as well. The one thing that I want to point out is this. The game has evolved, right? And so there's not these Chris Pronger types who are beating people up in front of the net. What the Blues have done here, and what a lot of teams around the league have done, is find puck movers, people who can get the puck up the ice. Well, what happens if these guys don't get the puck up the ice if the forwards aren't connected if they're not getting the puck out quickly then it gets kept in the zone a turnover happens and, and now you're getting zone time for the other team and, and then they score and your defense looks bad because they're flat footed they're standing around so that's the thing it, it's great to evolve it's great to bring in these types of players who are skaters like a Nick Letty like a Tori Krug but if you don't get the puck out of the zone mm-hmm. it's no chance you're gonna look bad somehow some way because teams are so good and and so I think that's what we're seeing with the blues other than the clinic against Edmonton when they were just phenomenal on all areas of the game I think we saw those turnovers that were putting the D on their heels a little bit the forwards weren't helping out as much but they were getting bailed out because they scored nine goals the first two games and because the goaltending has been terrific right so turnovers 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 have been a problem and we could talk about the defense you know, reverting to a situation where they're not playing as well. Yeah, we did see that last year. Yeah, we're seeing that right now. But to me,
1: it's an issue with coughing up the puck. I don't know how much people take for granted or or take into consideration the scoring chances number that pops up, but I mean, their last three games, they've allowed 85 scoring chances. 33 of those 85 have been high danger scoring chances. And some specific examples that stick out to me, JR, you know, I go back to that Edmonton Oilers loss at home uh, Connor McDavid skating around the circle, and I know Berube talked about it to where you kind of let him stand there with a the puck on his stick to find the opening, which you can't allow. And then last night, that three on Krug that you heard Curbs mention on the call, that was Robert Thomas who chipped in to try and keep the puck on the boards. You want to be aggressive, but you can only be aggressive so much if you're not possessing the puck yourself. If you're trying to be aggressive to possess the puck, well, then that's when the other team's going to throw it your direction. So O'Re- Ryan O'Reilly mentioned this the other night when we asked him about
4: the, uh, the odd man rushes. Is he said that uh, he feels like he and maybe some other guys are cheating a little bit offensively, and that's happening because they aren't scoring any goals. They hadn't had a goal by a forward in over 200 yeah, the minutes in, game. until a goal a couple nights ago. They, they just have one even-strength goal, five-on-five five goal in the last four games. The others have been power play empty net netter uh, three on three overtime goal so one even strength goal in the last four games it's not going to get it done guys are going to have some tendencies they're going to want to cheat for offense and make plays like you just talked about with Robert Thomas then it's coming back the other way and it's up to the goalie to keep it out of the net
1: and I know a lot of people focus in on specific players guys like Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas of yeah they are the problem defensively but as much as those guys are the problem, that you can sit there and say that, you also look at the other spots. Like, look, the fourth line for the Blues, we were crediting them so much in the early portion of the season, they've been on the ice for 29 scoring chances against. It got it, It's gotten to the point the last couple of games where the third line doesn't even exist because Craig Berube shortens the bench. Some of that is because you're chasing the game, but some of that is also you're trying to find that chemistry on the ice, and it does take a massive hit when you don't have Bucnevich or Saad out there also.
4: Yeah, and I think uh, you, you don't want to use it as an excuse, but I think the injuries up front are catching up to the Blues a little bit, especially Pavel Bucinevich. He comes out opening night, scores a power play goal a few minutes in, you know, he's on his way to 30, 35 points. Plus goals again and now he's been out you know since that first game and a lot of people upset they get frustrated when they hear maintenance day and then maintenance day <laughs> turns into missing five games and I get it I understand it but we just don't have the details behind the scenes in terms of you know how bad the injury is Craig Bruby's come out and told us he doesn't think it's serious but it's still bothering him and so when will we see Pavel Buchnevich back in the lineup we just don't know but I think between having he and Brandon saw out now listen Sod wasn't doing much production-wise before the injury, right? But there's just such a drop-off from a player like Sod to a player you know, like a Josh Levo, like a Pitlick. And so I think when you put these players in, now the lines are a bit scrambled. You got guys out of position. I think they're having some uh, struggles up there. And, and so when you have that, and you're not scoring goals, well now you're taking chances. Now you're giving up odd-man rushes. Now you're chasing the game.
1: So now that so now that you're Past this back to backs and you're past to the stretch of hockey where you're playing a lot in a little amount of time, coming from when you were playing nothing with two or three games in between. You've got three losses on your belt. You're three and three right now. You've kind of come back down to earth at five hundred overall record, but you've got the loss against Winnipeg, you got the loss against Nashville, you were outscored in that game, ten to two against the Central Division. Where are you at on this team, JR? Like what what have you discovered about this team now that we're six games in after watching?
4: Yeah, a couple things. First of all, the puck play, as I mentioned, just has to get better. Whether it's some hard practices, whatever it is, whether it's getting the summer hockey out of you, which should be well out of you by now after eight exhibition games, so on and so forth. Whatever it is, Craig Ruby, his staff, they've got to get these guys playing better with the puck is the main thing but beyond that that's a big picture thing you know let's look at this uh lineup you're gonna have to get some production out of these top guys o'reilly you know just the the one point a power play goal uh he's done a magnificent job i think defensively especially in that game against edmonton in edmonton uh but the jordan kairos you know Brandon Saad when he comes back, he had no points before the injury. Uh, then you look at this third line. I think this might be an issue, Alex. We we are all high on Jake Neighbors, and he's just a few weeks into his first full season in the NHL. But you know he's going to have to uh, produce. I, I think you're going to have to get something from that third line, and if it's Logan Brown, who didn't look good in his first game back, they pull him out of the lineup and they say he's not ready. Like, so who's going to make up that third line? Right. Because, you know, if you're not getting production from that top six, you're going to have to have some balance like what carried the Blues last year, and they're going to have to find some sort of solution. The one thing I'll say, Alex, you talked about that fourth line a minute ago. I like it as constructed with Walker, Achary, Torbchenko, but it'd be nice just to throw them out there and let them play some games and, and figure out who they are. But if you got to pull like a Torupchenko up to the third line to do the patchwork there, you know you're never gonna to get to that point where you're establishing that identity. And, and
1: it does feel like some of that's circumstantial because Buchnevich is playing, he's with Thomas and in, in Tarasenko, and then you're probably moving Kairou back with O'Reilly. Um, and when Sod's there, you're moving Shen back down. And that line, Shen, Barbashev neighbors, at least in the first game that they played together, they were okay, but it's not it's not getting you excited about it. But it really doesn't feel like there's much else you can do because these were the guys that you banked on to be those third-line players. And if you sit there and say, well, go down into the minors and bring players in, well, who are you bringing? It's Martin Furk. It's Matthew Highmore. It's Nikita Alexandrov. And unfortunately, not, no disrespect to those players, but they were fourth-line players for this team. So it's either somebody on your fourth line has to step up or the guys that are in that third line spot can take that role. But Jake Neighbors, I mean, people have said, maybe send Jake Neighbors down to the minors. But that's a player that you were banking on to be a player every single game for you. Yeah, 10 or 15 goals or what have
4: you. Look, every team in the NHL would be in the same situation as the Blues if they were missing a 30-goal score like Bucinevich, a 20-goal score like Brandon Sod. and it's a trickle-down effect. You know, you have to fill down, you have to fill in the, the holes when those guys are, are gone, and you're doing it uh, with some guys who might not be equipped to, to handle those spots. The Blues have a ton of depth. They have a lot of bottom six guys who can step in and fill in a roster spot, uh, but certainly not uh, with the production of those guys. So I, I think what the Blues are going through right now, again, I can't keep Saying it enough is, is clean up the puck play, uh, but they got to get healthy. You got to get those two guys back. You got to kind of sort your lines out again and put guys in, in the right spots.
1: Another thing that I think I've learned about this team over these last few games now, JR, and look, you're going to take on a Montreal Canadiens team on Saturday that's not the greatest. They've allowed the most high danger scoring chances in the NHL, but they still have talent. Then you're taking on an LA Kings team who, again, has talent, but not going to be one of the top teams in the Pacific Division for how that's going right now, it's going to be difficult to label that this team, okay, yeah, they're they're at that level we expected them to be after these next few games. You just went up against that competition, and with the exception of that Edmonton Oilers game, you're looking at it saying, well, there's not a lot of scoring, and you're getting beat up by these good teams. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but... the the physicality is something that pops up too because you played a physical presence team last night that kind of pushed you around
4: yeah yeah no it it was and nashville nashville did a good job you know the one thing you know, it doesn't get talked about too much, but uh, the other team, look, you went into Winnipeg and that was going to be a tough game. Winnipeg got embarrassed by Toronto a couple nights earlier and they came out hungry. And, and it was uh, the end
1: of your road trip.
4: End of your road trip. And you don't like to think of those things, but they're true and, and they do play into what happens on the ice. And so I think you had a hungry Winnipeg team and, and listen, Blues need to play harder. You need to execute better in that game. Second, third period, you had a chance to win that game. You're still in it because you're goaltending and you don't, but then you go to Nashville Nashville Predators winless in the last five. They're Coming out hard last sitting night. Sitting
1: around for four days. Yeah,
4: sitting around, waiting in. So that doesn't make any excuses. Blues needed to put a better right. effort. But I think we've, we've seen it in spurts. Uh, but uh, until they get this puck pay, play cleaned up, I, I just don't see them kind of getting to the point where they can be physical. Because, Alex, if if you don't have the puck and you're not taking it
1: into the zone, you're chasing you can't the
4: game. be hunting, guys. You can't be on the forward check. You can't be physical and establish that.
1: And, and that's what I think the biggest problem in these last few games have been. You've been chasing the game all night long. You've allowed teams to get back in or take the lead early, and then you're chasing them for the remainder of it. Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario, Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to catch up with Scotty Upshaw, former St. Louis Blue, former NHL forward. We're going to get his thoughts on the Blues' early start to the season and some topics around the NHL. But coming up next, do the Cardinals, are they still going to be in on the high-end pitching market? I didn't believe so, but Katie Wu of The Athletic made me start to second-guess that. We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
4: For
2: the first time in a very long time, let's let's give some some recognition to the Cardinals. They have five legitimate starters for November. Usually we get to opening day and they don't have that. Do not think this is the rotation that they debut with on opening day. Teams are playing right now in the World Series. Phillies and Houston. Look at their pitching staff. They got a top-tier, inarguable, bona fide ace, and I think the Cardinals will benefit from it. Definitely looking at it. And like I said, who is really going to be upset if they do end up signing or trading for one?
1: So that was Katie Wu of The Athletic yesterday with us talking about the potential of the Cardinals going out there and looking for more starting pitching. And alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and Tanner Hendrickson and Alex Ferrario. And Katie's answer there was, my same reaction to that was when John Mozeliak announced that Jeff Albert was not going to be coming back. My eyes kind of bugged out of my head <laughs> because the one thing I didn't expect to hear anybody bring up this offseason was, well, they should go out there and look at the starting pitching market. Now, I know John Mozeliak said yesterday, you can never have enough pitching but when you look at this team and the makeup it has Jack Flaherty and I know save your thumbs from texting in angrily Jack Flaherty can't stay healthy he's going to be a part of this team Miles Michaelis Jordan Montgomery Steven Matz Adam Wainwright Dakota Hudson those are six guys right there that all started a majority of games for the Cardinals last season People want Jose Quintana back. Understandable, but I don't know if Quintana is going to be coming back in this circumstance. He's also not a high-end starting pitcher. So for me, I'm not really sure the sense it makes to go out there and sign a high-end starting pitcher unless you're going to make a trade for one and maybe trade one of the pieces that are already off of your roster.
4: Yeah, so it's going to be a big offseason, obviously, and a number of questions for the Cardinals. Uh, what are they going to do position-wise, pitching-wise? Uh, now John mozeliak has got a lot of work to do to fill that staff <laughs> for out. Four
1: staff yeah. uh, personnel-wise.
4: But but the one question that, that gets me, and I hear this a lot, even covering the Blues, is, uh, well, you know, they have eight defensemen, eight defensemen on one-way contrast. Yeah, I said that at the
1: beginning of the season. Yeah. Nine defensemen, they can't play these guys. What are you going
4: to do here? And you, same with pitching, five starters, six starters. Right. Look, a week into the season, or into the preseason, you find out that uh, Scott Prinovich is going to miss the year. You've already found out that is going to be out for the year, basically, uh, with these injuries. With no t- timetable for those guys. And and so now all of a sudden the Blues are down to six healthy defensemen uh, in terms of the starting lineup. So same thing with the pitching. You never know what's going to happen with Flaherty. And, and so I just think that John Mozalek, just like Doug Armstrong and Larry Plo before him, I remember talking to Plo about having too many defensemen, right. you can never have enough. That's what John Moselik has to set up for, the possibility that a couple of these guys won't be available at different parts. So, yeah, go out, load up, get those guys. Obviously, if you're going to spend a lot of money on a high-end guy, then maybe you're not going to be able to have those type of numbers. Uh, but I think that uh, that's what he has to prepare for.
1: And I completely understand that, because look, Flaherty's an injury risk. Stephen Matz is an injury risk. Uh, Miles Michaelis is an injury risk. Adam Wainwright with the age is an injury risk. Anybody so,
3: that has SP next to their name for their position is an injury
1: risk. I <laughs> thought that was a disease for a minute Tanner I'm like whoa man you can't bring that on the air but no you're right starting pitching anybody who's a pitcher is an injury risk but like that that's where you put yourself in this spot but as JR mentioned T-Bone like my problem comes into this conversation of yeah if you can get a high-end starting pitcher I'm all for it but not at the cost of what you will what will take you out of the market to go sign a bat that is a bigger necessity for this team
3: Yeah, well, I I agree with that. The problem is is I don't know how you can convince one of these, whether it be a top-end starter or someone like Jose Quintana, to come and be a part of the team when it is hey, I can look on paper and see you've got five starters, so you have to convince me of what you're going to do to allow me to be one of those guaranteed guys. That's the problem they find themselves in. It's the same conversation I know that Michael Gersh has brought up on podcast before of, well yeah, it's easy to say go and get Jose Quintana at the beginning of the season, but the problem is, is he knows he can be a starter elsewhere. When you look at the Cardinals right now, it's They've got the rotation basically lined up. When they say they're adding pitching, which I don't disagree. They probably need to add pitching because it is kind of like the defenseman conversation, but it is more of those kind of guys that are brought in to be like that minor league depth, be guys that will come in and compete to be the long reliever when the season starts, and then if there's injuries, they become starters. I think they are completely out on that big-time starting pitching market, even the mid-tier starting pitching market, just because there's no room in this rotation. You can look at the rotation kind of like your suitcase. You know, you can pack X amount of clothes for your trip. J.R. knows and you've all about got, that. You've <laughs> got that one outfit you want to bring, but there's just no room for it. That's exactly what it is right now. They They don't have room to bring that awesome, nice, Uh, shirt to bring along on the trip. So I I don't see them being big in the market for starting pitching. If anything, they're going to just go sign some guys to minor league deals like Aaron Brooks of that type. Tanner, it's a good point you
4: make about Quintana, but let me ask you a question. I mean, if you're him and you came to this organization and you liked the way they used you and you had success here, I mean, wouldn't you be able to bet on yourself and say, yeah, there's five names there, but I was one of those guys down the stretch and I can be that guy again. They know what they have in me. So if the money's the same, you know, he wouldn't be turned off by seeing five names there.
3: I, I think if you're Quintana you could do that and I think it is I think it just comes down to am I willing to come in and potentially be a guy that ends up being in the bullpen if you're Jose Quintana but if if I were Jose Quintana's agent I guess I would say I would be telling him hey we need to take a deal that's outside of the Cardinals organization that's going to offer us a guaranteed starting spot because he's probably going to get a multi-year deal this this year in free agency and if I'm I'm him you look at Jose Quintana's baseball reference page yeah, he's been he was good last year for the Cardinals. Yes, he's been good in the past, but he kind of he's kind of like a roller coaster. He has good years and then he has some really bad years. He just continues to go up and down. If I'm him, I would capitalize on this opportunity and I would take take a contract that's guaranteed multi-years somewhere else to be a be guaranteed I'm a starter rather than come to St. Louis and just basically hope you're a starter.
1: Here's the other thing when it comes to the starting pitching market and why I'm not so quick to throw it out, but I think if you're going to do this, you got to go make a trade for somebody rather than sign the guys like Radon and Verlander and DeGrom. You don't have pitching beyond this season. And what I mean by that is Adam Wainwright said this is his final year. Miles Michaelis is in the final year of his contract. Jack Flaherty's in the final year of his arbitration. So is Jordan Montgomery. The only guy that you have on your roster for the 2024 season is Stephen Matz. And if you go look at the free agent market going into the offseason next year, there aren't a lot of names that you would say, oh, yeah, that makes sense for the Cardinals that would round out a rotation. And I know minor league players can come up in this, and you're probably going to re-sign one of those guys. But I look at this offseason and say, if you can go get a Shane Bieber, I'd probably pop on that right away because he's a part of my rotation moving forward, and I'm addressing that ace quality now. But I also wonder if they're going to be viewing this as we might need to resign one of these guys before the season starts up next year.
3: Yeah, I, I find it fascinating to know what they do, because I still think they're out on those ace caliber pitchers because they can look at and say, we're going to gamble on Jack Flaherty being the ace for us this year. We're going to gamble on Jordan Montgomery, who's got some swing and miss stuff to his game. And honestly, we'll gamble on Miles Michaels being what he was last year and they may not make those moves i because i understand the textures were bringing up well tanner front front end is not going to come here not going to choose not to be here because he's going to have to compete for a job no the Cardinals would bring him in because they want one of those top end aces i just don't think they're looking at those guys i i think they're looking at what you said when we started the segment of let's allocate our resources to the offense we basically have our five starters figured out already and we're going to hope that jack flaherty is healthy and mo mentioned this in his presser that no, he was encouraged by the way Jack Flaherty finished his season because he finished the season healthy. So I think they're gambling on the ace that they're that we're talking about that they're looking for. They're gambling on it comes internally via Jack Flaherty or Miles Michaels or Jordan Montgomery. So I don't think they're going to end up making one of those moves, even though the future is very uh I don't want to call it bleak, but it's very open right now with four potential openings in the starting rotation going into next season. I think it's more likely what they do is they don't make a move for an ace. In fact, to help guarantee part of the the rotation next season for 2024, they extend one of those guys. Maybe you give Michaelis like a two-year contract extension. Maybe you extend Jordan Montgomery. I don't know if Jack Flair would be willing to take in a contract extension. I don't think the Cardinals would give him one at this point, but I would say that it's more likely they would extend one of the guys they have right now to help for the 2024 rotation rather than go get a top-end starter that fits this year and also years to come. Coming up in
1: 15 minutes, we've got Ask Us Anything. It's Friday, so anything you've got that you want us to answer, send it our way, 65780. Coming up next, though, Scotty Upshaw, the former St. Louis Blue and the co-host of the Missing Curfew podcast. He's going to join us to talk a little blues hockey next. Hopefully. Hopefully. (laughs) Never know, Scotty. (laughs) Hopefully he'll answer, and we'll get into that next year on 101 ESPN. side, Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider of the Athletic, and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Alex Ferrario. It is BK and Ferrario here on your Home for the Blues 101 ESPN. Blues back in action tomorrow night to take on Jake Allen and the Montreal Canadiens. 6 o'clock puck drop, 5 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. And now to talk a little Blues hockey, we welcome in one of my favorites, Scotty Upshaw, the former St. Louis Blue, the longtime NHL forward, and now the co-host of the Missing Curfew podcast. It is an incredible hockey podcast not just hockey lifestyle also he and Shane O'Brien talking hockey Scotty thank you so much for taking some time and hopping on with us today how are you
2: I'm doing well, guys. Anytime. Anytime. It's my pleasure to be uh, chatting blues hockey with you boys here at ESPN. Love it. Well,
1: Scotty, let's uh, let's start just with the generic look at this blues team. Of course, we saw them last year go toe-to-toe with the Colorado Avalanche in the postseason, get uh, kicked out of it, and then they start off this season hot and have dipped a little bit. What's been your thoughts on St. Louis so far?
2: I mean, I, I love the makeup of the team. It's a lot of guys that are back from last year. And, you know, as Blues fans, let's all be honest, you know, had uh, had our boy Binner. you know, had he been healthy, had he been kicking like he was throughout the playoffs, um, it would have been a different story. It would have been a, uh, a deeper run, a deeper series against the Colorado Avalanche, um, you know, and, and missing guys like Krug and Letty on the back end in the playoffs really – you know depleted the energy out of the guys and and in that room but um you know you look at the guys that are back you got Thomas and Kairou you know with new uh new contracts um you know new standards of play you know these guys got to be carrying the team every night uh you know with youthful legs and you you just hope that they they you know continue to push i th- i think the direction of the army and from the coaching staff, is, it hasn't changed. Um, you know, they're there to win now, and, and we expect them to, uh, to continue to compete. A little bit of a fall here, the last three games, but, um, you know, what better way to kick it off against Montreal Canadiens and get back on track?
4: Hey, Scotty, before I ask you about one of those young guys, Jordan Kyra, I got a little bone to pick with you. It's one thing to master your craft and play in the NHL like you did, but, uh, you know, media is my field. This isn't a lot of fun for me when I go out in public and I see some of my buddies and they're talking about your podcast and what you said, and I I go golfing with a guy and he's wearing a fella Scotty Upshaw hat, you know, not too long ago. So could you leave some of the industries to the rest of us, please?
2: Jimmy, yeah, I'm not here to steal your thunder. You know that um, the fella hats, I gotta say the fella hats have been a hit. I, I, I played golf yesterday with the Tampa Bay Lightning. We had uh we had Coach Coop out. Um I played with Kalorn. who's an absolute dick. Uh and these guys, they love the fella hats. What can I say? Patty Maroon was with us, uh Corey Perry I threw him a couple fellow lids. So, unfortunately, you're going to see a few more around uh, around the golf course and around around the dressing rooms here
1: from, from now. <laughs> well, Jared, Jared, the good news is uh, Scotty left the good looks to you, though. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> hey, hey, Scotty, with the uh,
4: young player, Kyru, uh, you know, he's definitely going to turn it on. He's going to be a good player. The Blues have committed uh, eight years to him, $65 million. He showed it last year, but off to a slow start here, just the one point. It's a goal in game two. Uh, going through a little bit of a funk here, like a lot of the Blues, so I don't want to single him out, but w- what's that like, you know, being around those young players who might get those big contracts throughout your career, you know, how tough is it for them, and what does it take for them to kind of get comfortable and, and understand the standards that you mentioned?
2: Yeah, I, I think the standards, Jimmy, are are what, you know, these kids are getting paid now on, on you know, what they're going to be able to do and their potential not so much what have they done in the last three four years um a lot of guys you know in my generation and even looking back to the Braden Shens of the world and Vladdy Tarasenko's you know the bridge deals were always part of their their second contracts and you know you know prove it right like we need to have a winning club we need to we need to go far in the playoffs year after year and then we're going to pay our young players well now you know things have changed and and you know and and good for them but Along with that means, like, you know, not only do you have to progress and learn as a professional, but you got to grow and and you got to continue to be better. you got to continue to be a leader. Um, For a guy like Cairo, last year was a goal-scoring frenzy. Uh, We all witnessed it, whether it was COVID and all the players and different goalies and combos and, you know, not really knowing what what each team was going to be able to put on the ice. You know, there was tons of goals being scored. That said, you know, this year things have tightened up. Um, you, you know, you see it with the top players. Some, you know, having McDavid be off the score sheet for two games in a row is something we didn't, didn't really see last year. And um, for a guy, you know, you just you look at Kyrou coming off an All Star season, uh, a guy that was basically scoring at will. You know, on power plays, finding corners in the nets, being in the right areas at the right time. Um, you know, using his shot and his speed to his advantage. You know, you're going to find adversity will creep in. You know, in that sort of say sophomore kind of situation he's finding himself in, but uh, sticking to it, he's got good professionals around him with O'Reilly's and Colton Pareko's and, and the Brayden Shens and Justin Foss. These guys will, will help pick these younger guys up. But again, you know, when you make that money and you know, you're going to be the face of the franchise for the next eight years, uh, finding ways to get out of these funks and, and, you know, continue to push and continue to work hard in practice and all these little intangibles that make good professionals, good pros, Uh, you got to be doing that
1: every day. Again, we're talking with Scotty Upshaw here on BK and Ferrario. Scotty, um, I am curious, too, because when you're a player like Kairou, from the opposition side, you play that player differently once you see his rookie year when he's that goal scorer, correct? And when you're Jordan Kairou, how do you go about transitioning your game to still be that speed, that skill player, but adding the two-way perspective into your game?
2: Yeah, like for for me, if I see a guy like Cairo come off, you know, have a tough start like this, right? And I'm I'm a guy on the Colorado Avalanche or or last night with the National Predators, I'm gonna kinda lean on this guy a little bit. I'm gonna kinda get in his face and, and kinda remind him, like, hey, you got that deal, but now like, you know, what have you been doing lately? Like, right? Like I, I would be using this kind of struggle that he's that he has right now. To kind of get under his skin and make him fight the puck, make him squeeze his stick a little bit longer, you know, a little bit tighter. Um, so, so for a, a guy like him, you know, his speed is what. Like, I mean, he won the All Star Game, the fastest skater in the in, you know in the world last year. He's got to use that to his advantage. He's got to get, kind of go to dirty areas, right? Like, do these things that kind of make you out of your comfort zone, but kind of proves you know to the rest of your team that you're not just going to rely on speed. You're going to not just rely on your shot. You're going to block, you know, you're going to be a guy that blocks shots. If you're out there in the last couple minutes of a game, you're going to be, you know, sacrificing your body and all, all these guys, the, you know, Vladdy's been through it. You know, you look up and down the lineup, um, you know, Robert Thomas, another young player, like, yeah, he's got a goal for assist. Not a great start by no means, but you know, he's, he's still doing the right things playing on both sides of the puck. So You just kind of got to show your teammates that, you know, I I know I'm a guy that everyone's looked upon to score, but I'll do both things. So if we're winning these tight games and we're in these 1-1 games, I'm not worried about scoring goals. I'm worried about helping this team find a way to get those two points no matter what.
4: Hey, Scotty, I think you tweeted the other day after Jordan Bennington had a great game. He's off to a phenomenal start. Lots of Blues fans last year ready to trade that contract, regretting that six times six. But uh, good thing that the Blues did not because he's playing really well. What's your thoughts on Bennington and did you think we would see him bounce back like this?
2: Yeah, I, look, look I love Binner. I'm a big, big fan. Um, you know, witnessing what he went through as a as an early pro, um, you know, in the adversity he faced personally and, and you know, in and in the game of hockey itself, to see him what he's what he's been able to do and grow as a human and, and grow his brand and and be you know, you know, be a name now in the in the NHL that's not going anywhere. You know, Billy Huso last year had an incredible year. It was, you know, as as a guy like Binner coming off, you know, a, a, a playoff run like you guys had in, in 2019 with the Stanley Cup, and then you know losing in the first round, and then coming back and almost being a fifty fifty guy with with, a, with with Billy who was playing incredible. You know, it probably ate at him a little bit, right? It's probably in his head, and now and now he knows he's the guy again. He knows that last year's playoff run. Um, was the Jordan Binnington that that the St. Louis Blues are paying for and that you know they're invested in? Um, it got his confidence back to where it needed to be. It proved to the to the guys playing in front of him that you know this is Binner, this is our this is our backbone, this is our wall, this is our you know our MVP, con Smythe caliber player that that we need. Um, you know he's he's back to playing well. He's he's making great saves. That great game against Seventeen, which I watched from start to finish. I mean. That first period, they were, you know, peppering the Blues with shots of the power play and everything. And Binner just really was himself. He's confident, stood in there. um, You know, and that's the type of guy, he, you know, he needs to be for this group. Um, You know, I I like the combo. I like Thomas Grease. I I think he's, you know, I I think he's a great player to to back up Binner. But, you know, the goaltending is not going to be the worry here for the St. Louis Blues moving forward. I think it's just collectively getting everyone back, um, you know, getting their goals. Getting their points, winning those games—you um, know what it's like. That group, the group in that dressing room—they like to score goals. They like to, you know, they like to win games. They like to play hard and rough. And and when they get back to that, things are going to be things are going to be fun for those boys.
1: We got a couple more minutes with Scotty Upshaw, who is uh, gracious enough with his time to hop on with uh, myself and Jeremy Rutherford. Scotty, the one thing that I. That I... Do notice for the blues and really around the NHL, the amount of preseason games that take place. And then, you know, you have that bit of delay and then you start the season and then they've got these off days in between. It's really hard for guys to, to get their feet underneath them at that NHL level with how the start of the season goes. Did you feel that as a player, like is the first month difficult for guys to get into a groove?
2: Yeah, it can be right. It's always, um, it's either hit or miss. Like I, I, I've been throwing a few bets in that like, you know, I got my DraftKings account set up. They're our our sponsor at Missing Curfew. And and I'm betting overs because last year every over was hit and there's a lot of goals being scored. For me now, I mean, I don't know what it is, but the Matthews of the world, you know, he's struggling to score goals and and Mitch Marner. And then, you know, you're looking up and down the lineup at at Vladdy with two goals, Brayden Shen, only two goals. And, you're expecting to see like these guys just clipping and and everything in sync, right? And I think this year it's kind of been a little been a little different. So, you know, whether it's whether it's you know coming back into training camp, you know, the coach stressing that hey guys, like we need to we need to play structured this year. That was the difference in us losing last year in the playoffs, right? Like we can't go run and gun, so let's play structured. All of a sudden, like your creativity and maybe the offense, yeah, you know, the, the offensive mind that you go into these nights with it kind of lacks, right? So um, it, it's something I think that the league is dealing with, but you know, guys figure it out shortly and, and line combos and, and you start to play well with certain guys and the coaches let those guys just run with it. And then you start to see things kind of in sync. And that's, that, that maybe takes a week, two weeks in this case, you know, maybe 10 games. So uh, the NHL is still the best league in the world. And, and it's so high paced and highly skilled and these younger players, what they do with the puck and, And what they do on skates is just incredible. So um, I enjoy watching the game. I know you guys do too. So, you know, we're in for for a good year.
4: Scotty, last one here. Uh, A lot of guys, it sounds like they don't want to play in uh, Arizona because they're in a multi-purpose facility uh, playing on a college campus. For some reason, I think that Scotty Upshaw would not mind playing on a college campus. (laughs)
2: Guys, I don't know who's telling you that. I think they're all lying. For one. They're so much closer to Scottsdale now in that old town. I mean, don't let don't let them kid you. If they got a night off now in Scottsdale and they get to play in Tempe, it's uh, you'll be seeing their best effort, knowing that they get that day off the next day, and you know it's a complete green light. So I am pretty jealous, although. I'm going to make a couple fella tour appearances with missing curfew to Scottsdale. There's no question about that. Oh,
1: I season. bet. I bet. That is fantastic. Scotty, always appreciate catching up with you, man. Love talking hockey with you. Uh, if you haven't listened to it yet, go check it out, the missing curfew podcast. But I know people are listening because he and Shane O'Brien do a phenomenal job covering the NHL. Scotty, once again, thanks so much, buddy. Enjoy the weekend and we'll talk soon. Pleasure, guys. Anytime. You guys thanks, have a good day. you back. There you go. Scotty Upshaw with us here. I, I love talking hockey with him. He's great. I got to do hashtag Jimmy.
4: You heard Jimmy a
1: couple of times there. Yeah, people are people are lighting up your, your uh, <laughs> the Twitter account, finding out what that means. So
4: just a little brief explanation. So I covered him for a year or two in the Blues locker room, and we talked a few times. And, you know, you don't mention people's names every time you talk to a guy, right? Mm-hmm. But over the years, I'll get a text from him. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, Jimmy. And I'm like, I just never corrected him. <laughs> I never corrected. So you were that guy that never corrected? Yeah, and I didn't. And so it is what it is. Who cares? And maybe he's doing it as a joke. Uh, I have no idea. It. But uh, every time i hear jimmy or i get a text from jimmy so uh, i right. love uh, that
1: keep it going just the guy that never corrects that see i'm that guy too it's like i'm never if, if i misheard it i'm just going to stick with it because i'm not going to be that guy be like i'm sorry what would you say no, no 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 just call me call me alfie whatever you want to do it's fine with that oh uh, that's funny anthony jimmy rutherford Al- that doesn't work because you're a damn general manager. Come on, man. Jeremy Rutherford, Alex Ferrario, Tanner Hendrickson. We will come back with our Ask Us Anything. If you've got questions for myself, J.R., Tanner, send them over Air Comfort Service, text line at 65780. Ask Us Anything next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast,
0: presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers
1: on 101
0: ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101-ESPN.
1: 65780 is our air comfort service text line. Usually it's questions and answers, but today is a Friday, so you can ask us anything here on 101 ESPN. And alongside Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, or Jimmy Rutherford of The Athletic. Sorry, I'm... Messed up his name there. It's Jimmy Rutherford and Tanner <laughs> Hendrickson. and I'm Alex Ferrario. Uh, let's start with this one. Uh, this isn't a question. This is more a question uh, from me for JR because uh, we're seeing the Montreal Canadiens here at Centene Community Ice Center. Jake Allen and his team walking around getting ready to do their practice. And Jerry, you got a piece coming out later on this afternoon. Yeah, it's out now. Uh, it's out right now. And it's a chat with Jake Allen and some pretty interesting tidbits in there about the Stanley Cup run.
4: Yeah, just a quick anecdote from the, the story is uh, Jake Allen went through the Stanley Cup run with the Blues. Of course, He was on the bench. Jordan Bennington, the starter at the time. Jake knew he wanted a souvenir. So what he did, he worked with the equipment manager, the former one, Joel Farnsworth of the Blues, and they told the linesmen that they wanted a game-used puck from each game. So at one point during every game, they wanted to pull a puck. But here's the thing. The NHL is really protective of these because they sell them. It's not like the regular season. So they're just not flipping these things out like candy so so Joel Farnsworth and Jake Allen both told me that they would put the word in before the game the linesman would know and then all of a sudden mid-game they'd see this puck flying at him and Jake would catch it put it in you know stuff it in his pants and and then he would take it home so uh you'll see it up on my story at the Athletic Jake, Jake <laughs> Allen sent me a picture of this uh framed picture that he has at his house and it's his jersey that he wore during that Stanley Cup run along with the seven pucks
1: wow what a souvenir Dang. That's incredible. Now I'm kind of jealous. I wish I could have uh, had that. Do you, did you take any souvenirs from that Stanley Cup run? You know, I uh, the one thing I wanted to do is I wanted to have, if you know they're going to win the Stanley
4: Cup, I want to have a press pass from each game. Oh, yeah. And then you can put that pass kind of in some sort of frame mm-hmm. thing. Here's what happened. The Winnipeg series, round one. I'm going to game two, and I grab in my pocket, and I got the press pass from game one still. And I'm like, oh, eh, should I keep it? Are they going <laughs> to win? I rip it up, throw it away thinking, no. Not this year. You know, that would be that would be something. And then now here we are. They win the Stanley Cup and I'm wishing I kept all those press passes. Oh, oh
1: my god. I wanted to so bad in Boston, try and like grab a chunk of ice and take it with me, like find a jar to put it in so it melts and be like You know, it's weird, but it's like to be able to say that you have some of that from that game seven. And I'm like, that would have been so cool. But I'm like, what the hell do you do with a big chunk of ice while you're standing out here with all of these guys running around? So um, that's a really cool thing. So go check out that piece by Jr. uh, of his chat with Jake Allen. And I I believe Jake's probably going to start tomorrow. He's been their number one guy.
4: Yeah, he did not start last night. They uh, played in Buffalo, flew here after the game. And uh, Jake is expected to be the starter to win.
1: Yeah. Uh, from the 618, guys, is Thomas Grice a problem? Problem? Uh, a good problem to have. Yeah, Good. maybe he meant a good problem. That's, That's probably, what the guy meant. That's uh, yeah. an optimistic. He, he's like Mike Schilt, T-Bone. He wants to live longer. He's optimistic. Yeah, yeah. His life. Yeah,
3: he's, I don't remember the last time I saw a positive text message.
1: That's very true. <laughs> this is not a positive place. I, I just don't. I don't know how anybody would would look at Thomas Grice and say, oh, man, he's a liability. Goaltending has not been the problem so far this season. Well, like, for, first of all, it's two games. Well, him. exactly. And I know he's been lit up in those two games with the Winnipeg Jets and then the Nashville Shot Predators. Shot-wise. Shot-wise, yes. But, like, let's let's be real here. You take away the empty net goal. It's a 3 nothing game. Uh, in the second period, it was a one nothing deficit for the Blues. Grice kept you in that game. And then the Nashville Predators, before that goal was scored by uh, – uh, Joe in the start of the third period it's a 3-2 game and he had seen like 30 something shots on goal up to that point
4: yeah and you know maybe let's, a couple rebounds there but uh, the Blues got to help clear those you know we talked about that earlier with the defensive play so he's better than I thought he would be granted it's two games it's long season if he can give you 20-25 starts uh, I think the Blues goaltending right now is the least of their worries though
3: i say that's where I am, too. Thomas Grice, I think he's been good. I thought that, I think it was the second or third goal last night where shot from the point, hits him, allows the rebound. He didn't corral, but it was in a tough spot and gives up that rebound goal. That one, to me, probably should have had. But otherwise, to me, he's kind of in that spot where it was. And I know it's early, and it, I know that Alex pushed back on this, or sorry, BK pushed back on this a little bit last year, where it almost looks like two different teams have played in front of Thomas Grice compared to Jordan Bennington, because against Bennington, I think they've been good, not great defensively, minus that Edmondson game against Thomas Greifster, just allowing so many shots. I mean, it's unbelievable the number of shots that he's seen and the number of scoring chances that were given up last night against Nashville. I don't think he's the problem. I think the defense in front of him has been the problem.
1: Uh, From the 636 if the Blues are in a wild card position at the trade deadline, do you consider trading 91 or even 90 if they're unsigned? No, I
4: don't for sure. I think this team, even if they get in, and granted, there's many months before we get to that situation, but uh, I think this team could be competitive even if it's in that wild card spot. And Doug Armstrong has shown in the past yeah, he did trade Paul Stastny when the Blues were still in competition there in that spot. Uh, But I think more times than not, he's let these guys play out their contracts and go on that playoff run, keep a Vladimir Tarasenko. So uh, I would suspect if the Blues were in that position at the trade deadline, he would still hang on to those guys.
1: Yeah, I mean, number 90, I don't think he's going to be unsigned by the time you get to the trade deadline. Maybe I'm wrong with that. But 91, I mean, if you're in a wild card spot, you're in the playoffs. Your team is worse without vladimir tarasenko if you trade him away you're basically saying we're not going with it and i don't see doug armstrong doing that and and
4: one thing i'll add to that is we keep talking about this win now situation you have all these guys on these long-term contracts and you're going to let another year slip by and now brayden shen and justin falk and tory kirk are going to be 30 31 32 you got to take advantage of every opportunity
1: uh from the 314 is there a reason to be concerned with jordan Cairo? I I don't know where your concern would lie because we're five games, six games in. Like, yes, the plus minus does not look great. But every time I bring up plus minus in a positive sense, it's, well, plus minus doesn't matter. But now the minus does matter. Exactly. He's not scoring goals. Understandably so. But look at how many lines he's played on. He's been with O'Reilly. He's been with Shen. He played with Thomas. They're obviously trying to find consistency. And if you look at MoneyPuck.com and look at the expected goals and the uh, goals percentage that they're going for, they're not scoring a lot. But they're the highest expected goals percentage in the national Ho- or not in the National Hockey League on the Blues roster. Thomas, or I'm sorry, Kairu, O'Reilly, and Saad. That line has been broken up since that second game when the injuries kicked in. Yeah. So. I... You need to see more offense. I kind of expect the defense to be a kind of in the back seat of the conversation, but I'm not sitting here panicking about Jordan Cairo. So
4: I'm not worried about just the one goal, one point through six games. Last year through six games, by the way, he did have nine points, two goals, and seven assists. All right, you so
3: convinced me I'm worried.
4: <laughs> he's off to a slow start. What I'm worried about with Jordan Kyrou is getting bumped off the puck, trying to do too many things by himself, skating into the zone, losing the puck. Like There's just too many things like that right now, and I think Craig Ruby touched on it the other night. He said too much overhandling.
3: I, I'm not concerned with Kyru yet either. And I, I said this the other day, like if he's with Thomas for the foreseeable future, which he was last night to start that game, and then he continues to have his struggles, then I will start to kind of raise the alarm bells a little bit. But when you look at those, like you mentioned, Alex, those expected goal numbers and some of the advanced analytics when he was on that line with Ryan O'Reilly, like I know they weren't putting up points and the plus minus was bad, but like the, num- the advanced numbers weren't showing like signs of, Okay, that makes sense. In fact, it almost showed that they were getting unlucky. So I'm not too concerned with Jordan Cairo yet. I'm going to give it a couple more games to see how things kind of start to generate, especially you mentioned Montreal worse and high-danger scoring opportunities. So we'll see if he can get something going this weekend, but I'm not I'm not too concerned yet.
1: Yeah, we'll see if Buchnevich is available because if I'm not mistaken, JR, the IR was retroactive to when he was injured 15th. that Saturday game, so he could be available for them. Uh, tomorrow? No, at any point because oh, it's retroactive,
4: so it's seven days. The only thing is he hasn't been skating with the team. I would think he'd need yeah. a couple practices. And I mean,
1: look at what happened with Logan Brown; they didn't they didn't want to play him because they felt like he didn't have enough practices. So we'll have to wait to find out with him inside. They're not skating today. Uh, they'll have their morning skate tomorrow before they play against Montreal. Coming up at 15 minutes, we've got our BK and Ferrario Pickham challenge. Of course, there's still no BK, so JR is going to fill in for him, um, and we'll give you what the new punishment is going to be this week. But coming up next, you might not be concerned or we might not be concerned with Jordan Cairo, but should there be concern with the offense overall? We'll discuss that next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: You know, there's looks, you know, there's chances, we're getting chances, but, uh, you know, sometimes you go through um, spells like this and you got to just stick with it. I mean, you got to simplify it a little bit more, maybe. And again, I'll I'll say it again, get on the inside, like that's where you're going to get your goals, you know, a lot of times. So I think that, um, you know, we had a lot of good looks and we missed a net on a lot of good looks. So that's one area we can, you know, get better at um, is hitting the net a little bit more. And, you know, again, like creating second and third opportunities around the net a little bit more.
1: That's the head coach, Craig Berube, after the Blues suffered that loss to the Edmonton Oilers Wednesday night. And Jr. the continuous thing that he said was getting to the front of the net, getting more opportunities. And last night after the game, Berube said that they were just making poor puck decisions with the puck on their stick. But... We, we opened up the show talking about the defense and we just got done and asked us anything talking about Jordan Cairo and the concern. And it's not so much Jordan Cairo for me as it is the overall offense for the Blues because Ryan O'Reilly, only one goal. Jordan Cairo, only one goal. Brandon Sout and Pavel Buchnevich have been injured. Tarasenko had two goals and six points in the first three games and has now since been held scoreless. The only guys that are consistently finding the back of the net for you are Justin Falk and Braden Shen. How much concern should people have over the offense at this point of the season? Yeah,
4: I think there's definitely reason to be concerned. Let me tell you some numbers here, Alex. I'm looking at the shot totals, shots four for the St. Louis Blues. They start the season 3-0. and Listen to these shot totals, 25, 28, and 22. in that victory over Edmonton in Edmonton, just 22 shots on goal. These last three games, 25, 38, and then last night, 35 against the uh, national Predators, and that's indicative of their chasing games. You're getting quantity in the last half of games. Yeah, you're just putting pucks to net, getting putting pucks to net, trying to catch up in some of these games. So you know, shot total doesn't always tell the story. What does tell the story is are these guys executing? Are they getting to the net? Like Craig Burby mentioned, yeah, I feel like you see it sometimes. You see it here and there, but just not enough. Uh, but I'll go back to what I was saying earlier, Alex is. You know, you got to get the puck out of your zone first. There has to be execution through the neutral zone. There has to be coming with speed. The Blues have turned into, you know, for, for a few of these guys, a transition team with the Kairos, with the Thomases. And we, we are not seeing a lot of that. We're not seeing a lot of zone entries with speed. And then either being able to take the puck to the net or circle and establish some zone time we haven't seen that now craig burby has said for a long time he wants quality shots not necessarily Quantity, but he still needs guys going to the net because when you put that uh, on the net, you know, have guys there, have guys making their presence in front of the net. I think we've really only seen that from Jake Neighbors, maybe, and at yeah. times Braden Shen. There has to be more guys involved.
1: Well, absolutely, and you know, you, you look around the NHL and teams that score those goals, they're getting those high-danger scoring chances, but it's because they're not overthinking it in the offensive zone when they're in there. It is. Some teams have less of that four-check prowess and more of the off of the rush. Like, I was watching the Boston Bruins game last night on my other computer while the Blues game was going on, and, like, you watch them play. They enter the zone, quick passes, they're putting pucks on net, and then they're swarming the net. And that's something that the Blues aren't doing. It is a lot of one-and-dones, and I know Shen said it last night. They're overthinking it. They're, they're, they're forcing plays because they're not getting pucks into the back of the net, and they're not getting those ideal scoring chances. So when that's not happening, it turns to, okay, well, let's get this across the ice so we can set up that highlight reel play where if you go back and watch the amount of goals that they scored last season, it was off rebound chances. It was off um, capitalizing on turnovers, and those turnovers that you capitalize on, they come from forechecking and being hard on the body. Yeah, and you look
4: at last night's game, and a lot of Nashville's goals came off the Blues trying to force thing. The Braden Shen you know, turnover leads to goal two. You have a situation Tarasenko forces a pass two, and it leads to an odd man rush the other way. We talked about those earlier. All these odd man rush against you know, Cairo leads to the empty netter. Blues trying to force too many things. And I think, you know, you take a step back from it. It's, it's it's a situation where they're not playing well right now, and so they're trying to make things happen when they just need to play the game kind of like they did the first three games.
1: Well, and the other thing, too, is you know, you mentioned the amount of shots that they have had this season. Um, 173 shots total, I believe, after that game last night for the Blues, which is uh, bottom five in the NHL. 38 of those shots have come from defense. And if you look at their top eight shots on goal leaders in the NHL, not in the NHL, on the Blues roster. Three of them are on defense. Krug and Pareko both have 11 shots. Justin Falk leads the team in shots with 22 of them. And when you talk about those three defensemen, they all have more shots on goal than Braden Shen, than Jake Neighbors, than Robert Thomas, than Nola Chari, and it's tough because Brandon Sod and Buchnevich have been injured, but also Toropchenko, Josh Levo. Like when you go down the list of the amount of forwards, we're talking about guys playing in your top nine that defensemen are giving getting more shots on goal from, which is a good thing when your defense are putting pucks on net because that's that five man unit you go with in the offensive zone. But as we just talked about, if you're not getting anybody in front of the net, it doesn't matter how many shots the defensemen are taking.
4: Yeah, and part of that is the Bucnevic and Saab being out look the coaches like Bucinevich to shoot more. So even if he were healthy, he probably weren't right. getting the shot totals there. It's a it's not a bad thing to have those defensemen up there in the shot totals like we're talking about. That's just how the game's played right now with the transition. And you know, if you're getting shots from Krug and Falk, great. But yeah, those shot totals from the forwards. Uh, Definitely need to need to be higher there, and 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 it's not just looking for that quantity. You still want the quality, you know. I understand, uh, but the Blues just not getting in the right spots, doing the right things that they need to do. They don't look hungry enough to be to want to score goals. It just looks like okay, get in the offensive zone. Here's where we're supposed to be. Okay, we're trying to do this. Oh, we're forcing this. just doesn't look like organic, it doesn't look hungry enough to get
1: to the net and do the things that you need it, to do. Is school. that product of the the strategy that they're trying to accomplish from the coaching perspective or is that product of the players that are on the ice?
4: I think it's just I think it's pressing because it, they because you successful. haven't been doing it. Yeah. yeah. And they're missing guys and they haven't been successful. And now there's more pressure mounting on some of the guys these guys. And then in games one, two, or three, hey, if you haven't scored in a game or two, it's no big deal. But now when you get to games six, seven, and eight and you're Jordan Cairo and you got one goal and you've misfired on thirteen grade yeah. A chances, now all of a sudden you're pressing like we heard the other day.
1: The other thing too with that, if we're talking about the offense, is did we overthink the depth of this team, JR? And I was thinking of this last night and we talked about it earlier. If you don't have a third line that's contributing for you, and you've been breaking it up, and again, the injuries play into all of this, but like, let's say Logan Brown doesn't get to the start that they were hoping for, nor does Josh Levo or uh, Tyler Pitlick that you're watching. I, I thought that they had more depth, and maybe they do, we just haven't gotten to see them, but like, does Martin Firk answer those questions for you in the minors? Does Matthew Highmore answer those questions? I know Nikita Alexandrov made it to the final of the preseason, but does he answer those questions? To me, I originally thought that those were perfect complementary pieces, but if the third line is so quiet... In this early portion, I don't know if that depth is the same as we expected it to be.
4: Yeah, the answer is frick no and you're high. Uh, <laughs> <thank> you. <laughs> that's a that's
1: a T-shirt, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the back, it can say the Ferrari 05.
4: I think they do have the depth. I still like the group that they have. But, you know, listen, if, if you can still be playing in game six with a third line of Shen Barbashev and, you know, Neighbors is still... Taken some strides, you know. I think you're okay, but that means Buchnevich is healthy and still in the lineup, and he's producing, and it means that Saad is warranting his spot playing on that line, you know, up top too. So if those things are happening, we're not even talking about this this offense. So yeah, with the injuries, now all of a sudden you have the third line that doesn't look as good. You're you're putting in a Logan Brown who hasn't played all season, and he looks in or he gets in the lineup and uh, just isn't up to speed, and so they pull him back out of the lineup. So now all these questions come. I think from uh, missing a few guys and and some of these. Other guys pressing.
1: Jay, remember when you said earlier that uh, you know it was a positive text that came in, like, "Oh, what's wrong yeah. with Thomas?" Because it's a good thing. I just got a text that said we were trying to tell you that moron <laughs> talking to me. <laughs> not as positive as I thought they were going to be on a Friday. Jeremy Rutherford, Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes. What's going on with Tory Krug and Justin Falk? Because if you look at the numbers, it's not pretty. Is that a problem? We'll get into that coming up in 15. But coming up next, it's the day we all hate. The BK and Ferrario Pick'em Challenge Week 8. We'll get to that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the
0: BK and Ferrario Podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: Jeremy Rutherford, Jimmy Rutherford, Tanner Hendrickson, Alex Ferrario with you as we get set for Friday, the weekend where everyone just gets to forget about work and enjoy life unless you're myself, BK or Tanner. Uh, Saturdays are miserable, Sundays are miserable because all we do is sit there and wonder if we are going to be punished this week with our pick'em challenge. Well BK doesn't have to wonder. he knows well, he's going to that's true get yeah <laughs> it's actually more on me and Tanner of wondering is BK actually going to strike lightning here or are we just going to um, you know BK lose on Saturdays well, like
3: last weekend like outrunning the guy next to you to avoid the bear. Last weekend BK
1: was 1 and 1 at the end of the first week and I was 1 and 0 and Tanner was 0 and oh, 1. I was, so
3: was stressing. So
1: I'm sitting here going, all right, well, I'm I'm 1 and 0. All I got to do is win one more game and I'm in good shape. And then of course we all go 2 and 1 and it just blows up in your face. So Let me see if I give him some good juju here. I hope not. No, we want that juju <laughs> here, JR. Give us some good juju. Uh new slate of games. New slate of punishment. So as you all know, the punishment that gets picked, that comes out, and the two that remain, uh, I will be getting my chest waxed on air sometime in the next week. i got to figure that out with um, my wife. Uh, she has the wax, not like I have to get her approval oh, I, thought, on this. I
3: thought you were going for approval. I was like, no, no, she already signed off on it. Push a football sled the length
1: of the football field while Kerry Davis yells at you. I'm really surprised that this has not been selected it's, yet. Kerry
3: scares me even when he's not yelling. So. I know.
1: Kerry scares me when he laughs, so I can only imagine what he'd be like yelling at you to actually push the football weight sled. Read a page of Fifty Shades of Grey on Air. Not sure why somebody would want to hear that. And the new punishment this week. No drum roll, T-Bone? Nothing? The Sports Illustrated Body Issue Recreation. Oh, goodness. Oh, god. So the loser will be recreating... The Sports Illustrated uh, I, Body I Issue. I so
3: don't want to lose this one.
1: I got to tell Ryder I can't help with the show that week. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's going to want to see this one either, but I'm just uh, I'm just hoping that Tanner loses because that will be entertaining a, in itself. And then we'll, have, got a to for, no, for it. we'll have a new profile picture for your Tinder it. We'll have a new profile picture for your Tinder account. Uh, so let's jump into this one. We did a random wheel generator. Uh, BK will be picking first. Of course, no BK here. He gives us, us his um list of games in the order that he has the one he prefers the most to the one he prefers the least JR will be picking for BK Tanner pick second I will pick third
4: JR okay so one preface I covered University of Illinois football from about 2002 to 2005 before going to the Blues You've I covered, covered it all I covered Kerry Davis yeah Oh yeah yeah so I've spent time in all these Big 10 cities covering all these Big 10 games but when I began covering the blues, kind of quit watching college football. So I know nothing about these teams. As you mentioned, all I'm doing is reading who BK picks here. So these are his picks. Uh, but number one, my first pick here in this snake draft, I'm going to go with uh, Penn State covering the 15 and a half points against number two Ohio State. Uh, Penn State. Hey, listen, they're in Happy Valley. I want to be happy this weekend. We'll go with Penn State.
1: I I don't know why he's doing that. That that is. That, there's one thing I've learned this season in our pick 'em challenge. Anybody who picks a point spread that's more than ten loses. Yeah. Mostly Ben Tanner, but I, he's got
4: to go against the grain though. Here he's. It's a bad idea. Yeah, starting like, off
3: the week with a Penn, loss. If, if Penn State can't cover against Michigan, how the hell are they covering against Ohio State? CJ so.
1: Stroud has been incredible, but instead he's just like, eh,
3: eh, Penn State, 15 and a half, they'll cover it. Uh, All right, T-Bone, where are you going? My second with the second overall pick, man, Missouri might as well be spelled as misery because they are terrible. So <laughs> give me number 25, South Carolina, minus three and a half versus Missouri. I, I think that one is such an easy pick that I know if they don't end up losing this game, we're going to play this cut, but it's okay because I don't think they're losing three and a half seems too low. South Carolina is going to blow out the tigers.
4: Tanner. They're wearing, they're all whites. Exactly, Yeah, man. It's the whiteout.
3: Yeah. Uh, now nah, Mizzou's bad. I mean, they are terrible. So I like South Carolina covering minus three and a half,
1: man. Um, I don't like any of these games and stop me. If you've heard that one before, but I think if I'm going to pick one game, to start this one, I'm going to take Tennessee minus 12. Oh, body paint. Alex is going to be wearing the body I, paint. <laughs> uh, I, I I know I don't like those big spreads, but I don't see Kentucky keeping this close. Tennessee has been a freaking juggernaut this season. Um, so I, I feel like this is an easy play for me here at Tennessee winning by at least 12. Now, this next one, this is the one that stings. Uh, I don't like any of these NFL games specifically the Giants and I feel like that bill spread is way too much. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back what I've believed this season that the Rams are awful and a home game for the 49ers I'm gonna pick San Francisco uh, winning by one and a half.
3: I can confirm for you uh Rams are bad. Uh, yeah, as a Rams fan, they are not very good, and I was, don't
1: think their defense is going to be able to handle that offense.
3: That was going to be my next pick. If you didn't take that one, ah oh, man, looking at what we got left. College games, we got Kansas State minus one and a half versus number nine Oklahoma State, and Illinois minus seven and a half against Nebraska. NFL, we got Seahawks, Giants, Vikings, Cardinals, Bills, Packers. I so I like Illinois this weekend. Seven and a half for a Big Ten football game seems like too much. I I think Oklahoma State. Their quarterback's still with an injury, so actually I changed my mind. I'm not going with that. That's smart.
1: It's like the chess move, JR. He had his finger still on the piece. I think he's, like, uh, wavered on three different picks here. Welcome to P.K. and Ferrario Pick'em Challenge.
3: er, JR, there's a lot on the line here. Like, my body being shown off ain't good for anybody, so. Yeah, I want
4: you
1: to get this right.
3: I'm going (laughs) to. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going Vikings minus three and a half against, home against oh, the Cardinals.
1: I wanted to the, do that, but I didn't trust it.
3: I, I think the new COD game came out this week. That means Kyler's been too distracted. He don't know what the hell the Vikings are throwing at him. <laughs> no,
4: it's in I, his contract. I, yeah, he has to
3: no, 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 they, they, no, they that negated out. that contract. They burned it up. And I know I don't trust Kirk Cousins, but my gosh, the Cardinals are bad. Give me the Vikings minus three and a half against the Cardinals.
1: All right, JR. Is it my turn? It's your turn. Okay, yeah, You he, get
4: back-to-back back picks. It's BK's turn. Okay. All right, BK once Kansas State minus 1.5, one and a half against uh, number nine, Oklahoma State. Ugh.
1: What
4: do you guys think about that one? That's the thing here is I'm making his picks, and I
3: don't even know if they're <laughs> good or not.
1: I don't like that one. I don't like that one at all.
3: K-State minus one and a half.
1: Okay. Wait, uh, Tanner, did you, you picked the, the Vikings game, right?
3: Yeah, I took the Vikings game.
1: Okay. So, which, so the ones we have still, we have th- – well, J.R.'s got another pick, right? So we have yeah. Giants and Seahawks, Bills, Packers, Nebraska and Illinois, correct? Right. Correct. Uh, okay. So J.R.'s got the next pick. B.K. does. <laughs> or B.K. does. <laughs> you don't want to see this does. body in
4: uh, <laughs> Okay. I think so, it be good. So uh, we'll wrap up here. B.K.'s final pick is Nebraska. He'll take Nebraska versus number 17, Illinois. Nebraska plus seven and a
1: half. I don't like that pick. I don't know if I like any of them. I don't. I, although, Tanner, that's a game I think they can win, right? That's not the one I'm as concerned about with Nebraska Illinois. Nebraska
3: or Illinois? Number, Illinois loses this game. It would be like losing to Indiana. So it would be pathetic if they lost. Uh, okay, so I got All one right, more All right, so we here. only got two picks here. It's either Seahawks minus three versus the Giants or Bills minus 11.5 versus the Packers. I'm going to go with, man, I don't know if I trust Seattle. I won with Seattle last <laughs> Dude. week. Dude.
1: I know. I, I really want to go that, but I don't trust it. But I also don't trust that spread.
3: Uh, you know what? You got to risk it for the biscuit.
1: That's what I always say, and I lose.
3: Aaron Ryder's been pouting all week and blaming oh, his teammates God. when Ryder's been playing like crap himself. So give me the Bills minus 11 and a half. Donnie, I hope your boys show up this weekend and kill the Packers on Sunday night football. I'm taking the Bills minus the 11 and a half.
1: I like it. I don't like what's left for me here. <laughs> so let's look at this. We're in Seattle. You know, the the extra man, the crowd, the weather. But Giants defense has been so freaking good this season. Seahawks don't have DK Metcalf. Uh, Tyler Lockett has been questionable these last couple of weeks. I don't think the run game for Seattle is going to be as effective as it's been. I'm going to pick Giants plus three. And The part that I don't like about this is I think I have taken a road team every one of these. All right. That's not pretty.
3: Let's go ahead and give yeah, it out go through what the these Tanner results. Are we'll start with BK, the pinnacle loser, who had the number one overall pick. He decided to go with Penn State plus fifteen and a half home against Ohio State. He also went with Kansas State minus one and a half against Oklahoma State, and then he went with Nebraska plus seven and a half against the Fighting Illini. I had the second overall pick. I took South Carolina because Mizzou stinks minus three and a half. The Vikings minus three and a half because Kyler's playing Cod this weekend, and the Bills minus eleven and a half because Aaron. Rodgers and the Packers offense is broken like glass. And then you take a look at Alex's picks this weekend. He's got Tennessee minus 12 as their host number 19, Kentucky. He's got the 49ers minus one and a half on the road, if you want to call it a road game in LA against the Rams. And he's got the Giants plus three at the Seattle Seahawks.
1: Okay, so I did two road teams and a home team, but I did one underdog and two uh, favorites.
3: All yeah, right. So that's be... our pick em.
1: Uh, We're gonna go ahead, to see Jeremy.
3: your partially waxed chest doing the body issue, which yeah. is gonna be weird to see. If
1: I, if I could, if I could ask, I'd rather wax other parts, but hey, it's yeah. gonna hurt worse. I'm going back a few weeks here, uh, and you
4: guys have already dissected that uh, Tanner run while drinking the mm-hmm. beer. You know, I just, uh, I just want to ask Tanner, what was so hard about that? I've never run a mile without drinking a beer.
1: <laughs> I, I mean, well, I can the, answer for I, Tanner. Tanner made the dumb mistake of ending it. Laying down on the oh, ground yeah. and then chugging a beer when he stood up.
3: I should have just uh, laid like, there until like the next day. Tanner would have been fine.
1: Tanner did the equivalent of buying a liter of soda, shaking it up, and then standing it up and opening it and not expecting something <laughs> to happen.
3: What would it happen have happened if I say- tried a minto?
1: I was probably Tanner's age though the last time I did run. Hey. I get winded sitting here. You hear me heavy breathing into the microphone, so you know that's it. So thank God the beer mile is gone. So that's the uh, that's our picks. Tanner will tweet out the graphic. You could follow along this weekend to watch BK lose. And uh, the new punishment is recreating the Sports Illustrated body issue, and nobody wants to see that, but... Um they're going to have to pick something out of these awful punishments. Good coming luck, up in, BK. I tried. <laughs> coming up in 15 minutes, we've got the junk drawer. But coming up next, what's up with Tori Krug and Justin Falk? We'll get into that here on 101 ESPN. We're
0: right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: Side, Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario, Blues back in action tomorrow night when they take on the Montreal Canadiens, 6 o'clock puck drop, 5 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN, and I know we've talked a lot of doom and gloom around this team today, and no, the sky is not falling, but there are elements that have popped out to us over these last three games, and JR. I want to hone in on, on the defensive pairing of Tory Krug and Justin Falk because, uh, look, some people like plus-minus, some people don't like plus-minus, but Tory Krug on the season is a minus-seven overall for the Blues. Uh, he, in the last three games, has been a minus-eight. Justin Falk in his last three games has been a minus-five. And when you look at these two, they've been on the ice for a lot of goals against. There's been seven scored on them uh, so far this season compared to four that they've been on the ice scored it, this is a this is a defensive pairing that in the past I thought has been really reliable because one they get the puck out of their zone easily and two their offensive prowess benefits this team but this is not a trend that you're excited about with these two being on the ice for so many goals scored against?
4: Yeah, let's break it down here. And first of all, I, I want to say up front that I don't think it's anything to necessarily be overly alarmed at. Uh, you look at the situation, they've been on the ice, uh, four goals, four, we're talking five on five, seven against. As I recall, and I've been to every game except for last night against Nashville, you know, there haven't been multiple glaring mistakes by those two or situations where you say, you know, for long stretches or a couple games, you know, they're not doing the job. I think the team is disconnected right now, and I think that leads to a situation where some of these goals are getting scored. Secondly, this is a second pairing that plays a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And so you look at the, the top pairing, Colt Preco, Nicoletti, they're going to get a lot of ice time, but I'm looking at even strength time on ice per game. For the four of them, Nick Letty, 20 minutes, 40 seconds. Pareko's at 20, 40. Then right behind them, you have Falk and Krug, nineteen twenty eight and seventeen forty seven. 47. Uh, so no surprise there. We watch the games. We know that they play a lot. Uh, but they're going to be on the ice, and teams are going to try to get their top lines away from Pareko and Letty, right? We saw what Letty yeah. and Pareko did against, against uh, Edmonton. So look at the Blues schedule. They've played six games, two of them at home, four of them on the road. So the four on the road, the other team's going to get the last change. Mm -hmm. They're going to get the line out against Krug and Falk. So, you know, the numbers don't look great. And I don't think anybody sees them as some shutdown pair that's going to get overwhelming defensive numbers all year. I don't think that's necessarily what we're expecting. Uh, They're moving the puck and doing their job. It's just right now for this stretch, the puck's been going in the
1: net on them. The way that I can break this down and why I'm not panicked about it. Like, Torrey Krug's numbers worry me a little bit because he's been in some tough spots on the defensive side. But if you look at the offensive zone starts compared to the defensive zone starts, Pareko and Letty have started 72% of the time in the defensive zone, and they've been on the ice for four goals against at even strength. So a good defensive unit out there. Tori Krug and Justin Falk have started 72% in the offensive zone, and they're still getting scored on. I don't view that as, oh, man, the defense stinks. I view that as the forwards are putting them in a a tough situation. Like last night, the three-on-one with Torrey Crew going back. That's going to be a minus in his book. But if you watch that, Torrey Crew got into the spot where it was a late change, forward chipped in, and then they left him out to dry when three guys were coming up the ice. So you can't sit there and say, yeah, these guys are struggling. They might be on the ice for goals against, but how many of those are inability to exit out of the zone, or turnovers, or not covering the man that's standing right in front of the net, because the other goal that went against Torrey Krug last night was that McCarron goal in the second period that tied things back up. Krug was defending his guy, puck bounces off of the forward stick, goes off of Grice's pads, right to McCarron, who's standing there with Shen chipping in.
4: Yeah, and Shen turnover there. That's why I'm not too concerned... You know, about this group. We're get, we can look at the numbers and see what they are, but then you can sit there and explain a number of them. And that's not to take uh, these two guys off the hook. Of Obviously, course. you'd like to see these things uh, better. But uh, right now, if, if we had a situation where we felt like the Blues were playing connected and they were scoring some goals and the opposition was putting up these types of numbers against Krug and Falk, then I think there'd be reason for concern. But I think we see what
1: the bigger issues are in this situation. Well, let's also remember, too, like um, you go to those two Edmonton games Pareko and Letty going up against McDavid's line and keeps him to one assist. And then Krug and Falk going up against the Dryside nice line side. and they keep him to one assist through two games. That is more. Of the lines of how I would judge the defense because those were two of the best games I think they've played this season compared to the Blue Jackets game, the Kraken game, which honestly you throw those two out because you had so much time in between and then when you've got the Nashville and Winnipeg game for how constricted they were together and of course having Thomas Grice in between the pipes.
4: Yeah, I think they'll be fine. Justin Falk to me he should be, you know, in that Norris conversation. Absolutely. I'm not saying a finalist, but in that top ten conversation, Tory Krug has held his own. I think I think he's been you know as good of a defender as you could expect for uh, what he brings offensively and on the power play. And I just think uh, right now the team's going through a rut and they're going to have to help them get out of it.
1: So since we're on the defensive conversation, let's go to the goaltenders. And again, we talked about this earlier. Like goaltending has been the biggest positive of this team all season long, specifically Jordan Bennington. But Thomas Grice was the one that people questioned. He's been great, I think. I think he's been hung out to dry. But what does still confuse me, JR, is the fact that he started two games against the central division, I know that's how the schedule played itself out because you opted to get Grice in that game um, on Monday against the Winnipeg, Winnipeg. Jets because you didn't want him sitting around. You think he was away for 13 game or 13 days before he played a game. Um, but it, built it up to where you didn't get to see Jordan Bennington against the Central Division teams, and I don't think there's anything to read into that one, but I also do look at that and say, man, it's just so odd to start the season and know you've played two division opponents and have not gotten Jordan Bennington into those games.
4: Yeah, I think it's a fair point, although I think it's probably maybe too early in the season to see what the breakdown against the divisions is for the goaltender. I would base it more on the schedule, and I think you know you said 13 days, maybe since the start of the season, but it, it had been 18 days since Grice played because he was didn't play the Columbus, play Blue Jackets Columbus game, and And, and, you know, that was a tough outing for the team. And so 18 days, so you definitely wanted to get him in. But furthermore, you didn't want to see Jordan Bennington get overworked so much this early in the season. And that was the point that Craig Berube made the other day when he announced that Grice was going to start against Winnipeg. And so the way the schedule works out, Bennington got those first three. Grice gets that game in. Winnipeg, then you're not going to come back with Grice, you know, that home game. Right. So you come back with Bennington, it's back-to-back. Now you go with Grice uh, last night.
1: And you can't go Bennington back-to-back games that early in the season, I don't think. They're
4: not going to overwork them. They're not going to play the back-to-back game. So you'll see Bennington tomorrow night versus Jake Allen, as we touched on earlier, be the starter for the Montreal Canadiens. So I think it's a fair point you make about facing the Central Division, two games for Thomas Grice, but I think it's more the schedule.
1: And at least you know that your goaltender's, are fine for you. And I think that's... If there's one biggest takeaway from the first six games of the season, it's you know that they've got you covered. And despite the game plan of, yeah, you're going to give up odd man rushes because the forwards do chip in... You know your goaltenders have been there for you.
4: And in the case of Jordan Bennington, you're more than fine. Oh, and, yeah. And the reason I want to emphasize that is this. We could be sitting two weeks into the season and we're looking at the Jordan Bennington of last year's regular season, and now you're saying, Oh my goodness, what is what this team? Do? This team can't compete without a starting goaltender. Not only has he been better than average, he's been terrific. This is a great sign for the Blues. I mean, you can't you can't just take that for granted. This might not have played out this way. It's played out the best case scenario for the
1: it Blues. It was the biggest thing they banked on this offseason. When you opted to to bring back Nick Letty and, and move on from David Perron, and I know everyone wanted Charlie Lindgren to be the backup, but... Charlie! 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 Charlie. Come on, T-Bone. I got in on that. <laughs> you were slow. Yeah, you were real Actually, slow who on who so? that one. Like the,
3: who so? Who <laughs> how'd he, how'd he, so? Who so?
1: how did he fare last night? Three
3: of those goals came on the power. By the way, did
1: you, see, you, you pointed this out to me on uh, the article uh, put out by uh, Fluto of The Athletic covering the Boston Bruins. Did you see Jimmy Montgomery throwing Husso under the bus? Yeah, how about that? So uh, Brad Marchant
4: comes back and scores a couple goals, right? Of course he does. And I think this is the way it played out. Montgomery, who was the assistant coach for the Blues last year, obviously he was uh, on the team with Billy Husso. Husso goes to Detroit. Montgomery goes to Boston. Those two teams play each other last night. Montgomery tells Brad Marchant, low glove, I believe. <laughs> he shoots it high doesn't score, Monty goes, I told you low. He goes out there and he shoots another one, low scores, and Monty says, I told you so. Oh my God.
3: (laughs) Hey, all I'm saying is the great one described how we should look at goaltender stats perfectly. Stats are for losers. Stats are for losers. Whoso's fine. It wasn't his fault last night.
1: It's not even that so I was actually I think I quote tweeted this and sent it to BK. John Tortorello actually was just oh no I didn't. I guess I didn't want to throw BK under the bus there. Uh, John Tortorello (laughs) was talking about analytics for the guy that they just claimed off waivers and he said analytics are the biggest joke in hockey. So now I've got John Tortorella and Wayne Gretzky on my side. Analytics are jokes. What are
4: you guys talking about?
1: Uh, St. Louis loves Dom. And his analytics. Nobody. And his Blue story. Stats are likes. for losers. Thank you very much. The great one said it. That's all I need as my backing point. The great one said stats are for losers, despite Dom uh, moving the Blues from number nine to 16 in his power rankings, which is a joke in itself. Tanner Hendricks and Jeremy Rutherford, Alex Ferrario, coming up in 15 minutes. Can the Cardinals really get away with relying on their young bats to fill that DH spot? We'll get into that. But coming up next, we've got the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: Right back to the BK and Ferrario
1: podcast.
0: Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The Junk Drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union.
2: Pay yourself with every purchase. Open an Achieve
3: It checking account today.
1: Coming up in 15 minutes or so, can the Cardinals rely on those young bats to fill the DH spot this season? But now we get into the junk drawer, where I believe T-Bone's got something for us today.
3: I do have something for us, and Alex, do you remember? I, I don't want to speak for you, but this might have been your favorite junk drawer story uh, since we've been doing the show together, and might is it, might have been the anal well. chest beats? No, Ooh. I mean I know that one's up there, uh, okay. but no, That's the one good. about uh, me getting the inflatable hot tub.
1: Oh, yeah, the T-Bone tub.
3: The T-Bone tub. We were going
1: to try and set up interviews with T-Bone and somebody yeah. else in a hot tub. It's
3: going to be like a whole podcast and everything. A great
1: video series. Yeah, we said Janet would be the first guest. Uh, yeah, so Janet, if you're right. listening, we need, uh, to, we need to set this up.
3: But So I saw yesterday when I'm going through, like trying to find stuff, and then I'm looking around for just some fun stories for us for the junk drawer. Mm-hmm. I saw another article that had like five gifts that you have to get for the winter season. Inflatable hot tub was up there So I'm kind of debating And I don't know how the apartment complex would like this But I'm kind (laughs) of debating Living on the second floor I've been looking for like a nice little Little small like patio set Like that's kind of bar seating But for two people Because I don't have all that room You know what? Forget that I'm just going to get an inflatable hot tub And put that thing out there Be grilling some dogs on the grill yeah. Chilling in the hot tub until they're ready. Well, hey, I, you
1: don't need a grill anymore if you get a hot tub. You just put the the uh, hot dogs in the uh, hot tub with you, and they'll uh, like you yeah, know boil see, like I'm they out, do in water. I'm
3: out on that part, but I I'm now leaning, and the text line can tell me if I'm wrong here in doing so. Six five seven eight zero. I'm leaning towards ditching getting a patio set, and I'm thinking just the inflatable hot tub.
4: I think it makes perfect sense for you, Thank Tanner. You. you could get an inflatable hot tub and an inflatable girlfriend.
3: Oh, whoa. That was unnecessary. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Oh, my God. JR with the freaking sledgehammer there. You know what?
3: I think if Jr. if BK loses, Jr. has to do the body recreation shoot <laughs> with BK now. That's all right. We'd get a lot of clicks
1: on that one. So, so here's my question to you, T Bone. Rather than put it on the patio, why not put it in your
3: apartment? Oh, because you know you don't want that water splashing all over the place in well, the what apartment. What are you getting into the hot
1: tub to splash for, man? What is this a child? No, no, pool? but
3: you don't want, like if something goes wrong, there's a leak. I'd rather like leak down onto the guy's patio beneath me rather than like. <laughs> On well, in my apartment I,
1: Again, what are you doing with your hot tub where there's going to be a leak? Why are you going to what are you going to jump into it and can cannonball you know, into I, your
3: hot tub? Anything that's inflatable can just get something where it just gets a like a little crack in it and it ends up having issues. I I I like the idea of it being outside rather than being in the apartment. That just feels like it's a disaster waiting I to happen. I
1: think the only way you can get a hot tub is if you agree to do the T-bone tub interview. I a mean, weekly we could, guest in the T-bone tub. <laughs> we could
3: start the series. It's kind of like uh, who does the one? Is it Kevin Hart that does uh, I, the ice, where he's in an ice bath and he does interviews with guys or he, something along those lines? I can't remember who does it. Yeah, but, it's Kevin
1: Hart that did it.
3: Yeah, it's it's the same it's the same concept, except it's in a wonderful T-bone tub that's nice and fantastic to sit in, and we'll, Couple we'll have of all the, kind of You want to be one of the first guests too? You want me to? Yeah, one of you.
1: Well JR I think would be better suited for that than me.
3: Alright, JR, we could do it. We could talk some blues hockey and liping chilling the hot in the T-bone tub. But...
1: I, if I get in, there's room for one. <laughs> 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 what kind of uh what kind of beer are you gonna serve? I mean obviously you're serving hot dogs. Oh, well,
3: we're getting Zwickles, baby, from Urban Chestnut, my favorite beer. Somebody uh there's
1: a couple of texts on the text line, which are fantastic from the three one four. Jesus Christ, JR, you didn't have to do them like that. <laughs> Why not? That might have been the best. That I, might have been the best one him that I've up ever so heard. So
3: perfect for that, I can't even believe I did it to myself.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Someone said, uh, "Junk drawer story with T Bone Dave, Did you hear about the guys loading fish with lead? That's oh, uh,
3: unbelievable. You know we can talk about it in the T Bone Tub stuff too.
1: Tanner doesn't really listen in that one, and then a lot of uh, weight jokes asking uh, Tanner and Jr. that it might not be able to hold both of you yeah. guys.
3: That's just yeah. true. see again the text line never anything positive. What's the I movie? Asked Shallow for positive Howell. feedback on hello how? That's where she, like if I jumped into the, the hot canoeing.
4: tub, the kids would be up in the trees like they <laughs> and
3: the- they go
1: canoeing and he's up in the air wondering what the hell's going on right now. That'd be fantastic. Well, hey, I tell you what, I'm all for a T-bone tub time uh, to get more uh, interviews with Tanner in his hot tub, but. I uh, also don't think anybody would want to watch that. But hey, who knows? We'll see if we can get that going um, moving forward here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, do the Blues have enough grit to compete in the Western Conference? We've also got one's got to go coming up at one thirty. but coming up next, can the Cardinals rely on these young bats to be their DH this season? We'll touch on that here on 101 ESPN. <laughs>
0: We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Well, the obvious is we're losing Albert Pujols, right, to retirement. And, you know, you look at at his season, it was almost a tale of two cities, right? And clearly that second half, he was... He was really carrying our offense, and now that's gone. So, you know, when you talk about protection to to Goldie and Nolan, that's a real question.
1: Never did I think that losing Albert Pujols meant you're losing 24 home runs, 68 RBIs, and an OPS plus above 154, but that's what they have now.
4: I always enjoy when you hear comments you know, like Mo just said, that Albert Pujols carrying our offense in the second half. If you could listen to that soundbite <laughs> going into the season, how crazy that oh, would sound. I
1: wouldn't have believed it. I, I I mean, we said it on the air, Tanner. We were like, yeah, probably 10 home runs for Albert Pujols,
3: maybe. I, um, I, I, mean, I would have thought that Mo forgot to say against left-handed pitching.
1: <laughs> he put up numbers. I just pulled this up. He put up numbers this season that he has not put up. Um, since what was it? It was the since 2011, 2000, I believe. Well, yeah, but I mean, 2016, 17 season, he had 23 and 31 home runs and a hundred RBIs. But since that, since 2018, he never had more than 20 home runs except one season. So like Albert Pujols was done and now Albert Pujols resurged, came back, had a career year and then decided to call it. And now the Cardinals go into the offseason and say, now we got to replace that bat as the DH. And the question comes up now, do you pursue that bat in the offseason for the DH spot with these free agents, maybe a trade, or do you start at the internal position with your designated hitter? And, Tanner, that's where I guess it comes down to the younger players because Wanya Pez, Nolan Gorman, Brendan Donovan, Alec Burleson, these guys are all DH possibilities for you. And three of those four guys, I don't really know where they play in this defensive scheme, but can they really rely on these young bats to survive this season?
3: I think they can. I I don't think you have – what they shouldn't do is they shouldn't go into next season going – all right. The next, the guy that's going to protect Goldie and Arnado is these young DH. No, these guys can play as the DH role. Juan Yepez, Brendan Donovan will sprinkle in there a little bit. Uh, Nolan Gorman will probably be at the DH spot quite a bit this year, I expect as well. Those guys can fill that void left by Albert, but not the production of Albert. The impact bat they're looking for is going to come elsewhere, probably from the catcher position if they want to go get a Wilson Contreras or they want to go get a shortstop. But I do think that you can rely on the young guys to take the position of DH and fill it pretty admirably. Because I look at Juan Yipez. Juan Yepes, Alexa brought this up yesterday with us. You know, he doesn't really have splits. So he's a guy that can go against right-handers or left-handers this upcoming season and be the DH for you. You look at Nolan Gorman. I'm still high on Nolan Gorman. I think he's going to have a pretty big bounce back year in his second year with the St. Louis Cardinals organization up at the big league level. I think they can go into this season expecting Juan Yipez to go be the DH for most of the time, maybe against right-handed pitching and left-handed pitching, and also sprinkle in Nolan Gorman against right-handed pitching in that DH spot. I I think they can do that, and I think you really supplement the offense by potentially adding someone like a Wills Contreras, who's going to be behind the plate most of the time. then can also come in and be the DH a little bit as well. But I think they can go into this season banking on the young guys, unlike last year where it was, okay, let's go into spring training. Let's see what we have because none of them have major league at-bats. And they saw, okay, these guys probably aren't ready. They need a little bit more seasoning down in Triple A. Let's go get Corey Dickerson. Let's go get Albert Pujols this should be the offseason where they just plan on these guys stepping up and being able to do so because they've got major league experience. They've seen them and they can ex- they can look at them and say, OK, we think Juan Lopez can do this over a full 162. We think Nolan Gorman can do this because they're still high on him in a full 162. I don't think they need to necessarily sign someone just to be a DH. They can use that, that money allocation and take it elsewhere, improve catcher, improve shortstop if they want to, improve the outfield if they want to.
1: All of this coincides in my opinion with what they do in the offseason. Like, before I sit here and say, yeah, they can use the young bats as the DH to to fill that void for them. Okay, but what did they do also for their offense? Because if your offensive offseason is signing Jose Iglesias and bringing in Brandon Nimmo, you didn't add a whole lot of pop to your team. And I'm not going to rely on Juan Yipez, Nolan Gorman, to be that power bat for them this season, that's too much pressure, just like it's too much pressure to put Jordan Walker in that position. Like Albert Pujols had 18 home runs in the second half of the season last year. It was the second base best in baseball. None of these options are going to do that for you. But if your offseason includes going after Wilson Contreras and a Xander Bogarts, or maybe it's just Xander Bogarts, and you're bringing in that bat that protects Pujols, or that protects Goldschmidt and Arenado, then I can understand looking at the DH position and say, We you know what, we think Wan can hit a ceiling for us. We think Nolan Gorman can do that, but we're not relying on them to be that. I'm going to rely on the bat that I'm paying the money to be that that impact bat for us rather than hoping young guys can be it.
3: Yeah, and that and that's where I lead is they the young what do we say should they stick with the young guys at the DH spot? It's not to be the impact bat. I don't think DH should be viewed as the spot that is that third impact bat as it was this past season where it was you got your cornerstones and Goldie and at first and third, and then it was, okay, now where's that third impact bat play? It's DH because that's where Albert Poulos is and that's the only position he can play. No, I think the DH will be more utilized as kind of that spot in the order that hits probably sixth this year and then go out on the market and find that impact back elsewhere because I agree with you. I don't think you go into the season and go, All right, we signed all these complimentary pieces, and now we're going to rely on Yepes and Gorman to be this impact bat or Jordan Walker to be the impact bat in the outfield. I don't think they can do that. That's too big a gamble. I think they will look in the free agent market, find some impact bats that are position players, a catcher maybe, Wilson Contreras, maybe one of the shortstops like Xander Bogarts, maybe someone like that, or maybe an outfitter. Maybe they view Nemo as someone that could be an impact bat, and then they go into... The They go into next season going, okay, the young guys can be complimentary pieces at the DH spot, but at least we know it's not like a hole on the roster. We feel comfortable they can give us some production in the DH spot.
1: So since we're talking about the bats, this leads us to the catcher conversation, and it's pretty obvious that that's a massive hole for this team that has to be filled. Um, we've talked about Wilson Contreras' name. We've talked about options that they can trade for or sign as a free agent, But what we haven't really gotten into is Andrew Kisner and Yvonne Herrera as those options. And uh, BT said something on the fast lane that I 100% agree with um, about this catching position this offseason. You're going to have to sign him for likely a five-year deal. Chances are four to five years. I, I'm not worried about Herrera. Like, I, I have enough faith in my system. First of all, he's young enough. If you wanted to string him along, you could. Uh, I have enough faith, though, in in the organization, in the drafting, in the developing, that they can find another guy and have him ready by the time that this deal ends up being over. I'm not worried about roadblocking Herrera either. I, I'm not either. And that's how long do the Cardinals want to kick this can down the road of this is the next insert position here player of the future for us now Mason Wynn I can understand people that say I don't want to block that position because of how he's performed me personally I don't care I'll figure out where to play him same can be said for um Nolan Gorman the one guy that I'm not going to block is Jordan Walker if I feel like he's going to be here this year but to sit here and say, well, you don't want to get in the way of Andrew Kisner or Yvonne Herrera, one, I think you saw the Cardinals' intentions with Andrew Kisner, and now that them saying that they need to go get a catcher, they don't view him as the number one guy. Yvonne Herrera, they might view as the number one guy. But if I'm going to be able to sign Wilson Contreras in that offense and that bat, and I know people don't like the way he handles a pitching staff, but I'm bringing in a guy who is an athlete and can still play defense for you, if I'm signing him to a four-year deal... and oh, I don't want to block Herrera. He should be there next season or in two years. Who cares? He'll be 26 years old at the end of Wilson Contreras' contract, and maybe Contreras is just the DH when Herrera's ready. I'm done doing this. Well, you don't want to block X player because he'll be a part of this team. I need guys who have a track record and have production at the major league level and are consistent with it, and when other players are ready to come up into the system, I'll find a spot for them to play. The Dodgers have done this. The Braves have done this. Who cares about blocking them Get me some bats and then I'll figure it out from there.
3: Yeah, and I I kind of agree with you and BT's thought process there because if you bring in Wilson Contreras, one, you're killing two birds with one stone because you fix the catcher position. You find that impact bat that you're looking for that can lengthen the lineup uh, and protect Goldie and Aronado. And then the thing, too, is if Herrera ends up becoming ready and becomes a catcher that you think you can use, kind of like, I don't want to say Carson Kelly because he wasn't truly ever ready here in St. Louis, but then when they traded him for Paul Goldschmidt, he developed to being an everyday catcher, and he's been okay since being there. If he ends up developing and Herrera is ready, Then to your point, yeah, you can either split time with him and Contreras, and Contreras can be a DH because he'll trust his bat, and Herrera can hit lower in the order as the everyday catcher. Or if he just doesn't develop, well, you've got four years to trust your four to five, depending on whatever the deal is. You've got time to try and develop that next guy, basically just kicking that can down the road, like when they had Carson Kelly, where it was always Carson Kelly's the guy of the future, Carson Kelly's the guy of the future, and then it was, you know, Yachty's here for a little bit longer. He signed, I think, what was it, a three-year contract extension at one point? And they said, let's utilize him as an asset. They move him and said, you know what, we'll bank on, I think at the time Herrera was in like low A or was in rookie ball, and they said, we'll bank on him becoming the catcher of the future. And that's what they've done up until this point. If you sign Wilson Contreras and Herrera doesn't feel like it's going to work out or you just like what you have and you see someone else come along down lower in the minor league system, just – Don't hesitate to say, you know what, Herrera's not actually the guy we're going to wait for the next guy. And then if that guy doesn't pan out, there's always catchers that can be signed to stopgaps in the free agent market. So I don't think Herrera should be any sort of obstacle towards signing a starting catcher this offseason.
4: All right, let's play a little game here. Like I started off earlier by saying, if you would have known, you know, what Pujols was going to do and that John Moselik would say that Pujols' offense carried us, what's something that we might play the soundbite later on next year that looking back... You would have never believed. Like, you never believe it now.
1: It could happen. Brandon Nimmo was a good signing for the Cardinals.
3: Okay, that's uncalled for.
1: (laughs) So, so JR, Brandon Nimmo is an outfielder for the Mets. I've already got
3: my Cardinals Nimmo jersey.
1: I mean, Tanner and BK have been gloating over this guy for the last since the cardinals have been bounced from the wild card spot saying this is the answer for the offense he's a guy who hits but he's also a guy who missed an entire season for injury and i've been saying it's dexter fowler 2.0 and when you look at this offense i mean you've watched this team in the wild card the last couple of years there go beyond that when they couldn't get past the washington nationals in the nlcs what was the major issue for him they couldn't hit the ball. You couldn't hit Annabal Sanchez. You couldn't hit Clayton Kershaw. You couldn't find a way to hit the bullpen for the Philadelphia Phillies once you got past Nolan Wheeler. Brandon Nimmo is, would be a great signing, but he's also not that bat that protects Goldschmidt and Arenado. So uh, I think if there was a sound bite that I'd look back on and say like, boy, I never expected to see that is joking aside with the Brandon Nimmo, it's. Payroll is going up, according to John Moselak, and the audio of him saying we need to augment this offense and protect Goldschmidt and Arenado, and then them going out and signing a couple of lower-level tier bats and saying that was the protection we were talking about.
3: Tanner? I think the one for me, and it's not so much the offense, it would be that they add another starting pitcher, as we talked about earlier in the show, where they go out and they sign... I'm not saying like a Jacob deGrom, but like a Carlos Rodon. They actually go out and get that top-end ace. And it would be the clip that I go back on and I look at and say, man, I had no idea that they were actually going to do this. And wow, that's a guy that was brought in has become a stud for this Cardinals rotation and is helping them end losing streaks as we've heard Danny Mack say what an ace can do or he can end a losing streak for you that would probably be the thing that I would think of immediately just because I look at the rotation now and I go wow there's five guys already there there's no way they're still in on the pitching market and if we get to spring training then Carlos Rodon's wearing a Cardinals uniform it shocked the hell out of me
4: so if they're looking for help finding Nemo would be the way to do that. Did that on purpose didn't you <laughs>
1: And you know what? I respect the, the hell out of that, JR, because that is a phenomenal dad finding joke. Finding Nemo. Tanner still
3: doesn't get it. <laughs> oh, I got it now after he said Finding Nemo. See,
1: it took him a little bit of time there, Finding Nemo. I, I know he all about that. he's just supporting
3: the case for Brandon Nemo. No, he's I making gonna... fun of the case wow. because
1: it's not a good idea. Tanner Hendrickson, Jeremy Rutherford, and Alex Ferrario. Coming up in 15 minutes, it's our favorite time of the week. One's got to go. You send us four scenarios. We'll tell you which one has to go. Coming up next, though, do the Blues have enough grit? to compete in the Western Conference this season. We'll get to that here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast
0: presented by Dobbs Tire and
1: Auto Centers on 101
0: ESPN.
1: Alongside Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. We're here at the E&B Granite Studios out at Centene Community Ice Center. And the Blues fall to the Nashville Predators last night, 6-2. to two. And a topic that... I was thinking about and I was texting back and forth with Tanner last night was something that Curbs and Joey were talking about on the post-game show. So the Blues had 25 hits last night compared to what was it like 39 hits for the Nashville Predators by the end of that game. And hits are such a weird stat because it just depends on the stadium you're in and the off-ice officials how they judge hits. But Curbs and Joey did discuss the the, the, the grit perspective of the game. Take a listen. This was an interesting game from the standpoint of this was the first real physical
0: team, I think, that the Blues have seen this year. And I'm not so sure
1: that they stood up to it very well yet.
4: I don't know if they have uh, the personnel to out-hit the National Predators. And their M.O. is is to out-hit, to out-man, and just get-in-your-face style of hockey. And it certainly paid off here tonight against the Blues.
1: I don't know if the Blues need that identity, JR, of getting in the face and pushing guys around and dropping the gloves if they need to. I know fans love to see that, but I do think that grit can be determined differently than just hitting. It's forecheck. It's winning puck battles along the boards. It's getting in and possessing the puck rather than skating in and taking shots and then skating backwards to defend. Nashville did such a good job of that. And Tanner texted me when I said, like, I wonder if grit's a problem for this team. And he said, yeah, but it's tough because they had 25 hits. 11 of their 25 hits last night came from Nolachari and Nathan Walker, who played less than 10 minutes, both. Three of the hits in their 25 came from their top six. Seven of their hits came from their defense. So, In terms of grit, I look at the puck possession. Like Nashville's, the guys that led their team in hits last night were their bottom six forwards. Their bottom six forwards combined for three goals and six points because they were using that grit using that forecheck and keeping the blues away from possessing the puck.
4: Yeah, I we'll would start off by saying what Ken Hitchcock used to tell everybody is if you have a lot of hits it means you don't have the puck. Absolutely. And, and so you know that you've you've said that before and so that's number 1 on this thing. Number 2, I would probably separate hits from the grit that we want to see from the blues. What we want to see from the blues is going to the net, playing heavy in those areas. You're not going to get hits for that, but that's being gritty. That's being physical. All that said, I think the Blues can be much grittier. They're going to have to be. Now, let me go back, uh, and I'll just use I use this example. Remember when the Chicago Blackhawks were winning all the Stanley Cups? Absolutely. Like, who on their team was playing an overly physical style of hockey? There, there weren't many guys on that team. It's because they had outstanding skilled players and good defensemen, Duncan Keith, so on and so forth, and they moved the puck out of the zone. They got it up ice. You get it into the hands of Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves. You're scoring goals. Now you're winning games 2-0, 3-0. And, yes, they had some grit. You can't win a Stanley Cup without winning those those, uh, battles. Uh, But I think it's a situation where... That's what you want to see from the Blues. Yeah, Braden Shin and Ivan Barbashev are going to lay some good hits this year, and it's going to make the Jumbotron highlights, and it'll be great, right? But this team's not going to be successful unless those players and more of the guys are going to the net. And not just that, but playing physical in the corners, doing those types of things. I think we've seen it from the Toribchenkos. You've seen it from the Nathan Walkers, the Acharis at times. I think that top six, it's been built here lately on skill, transition, goal scoring, but... It has to get grittier. It, it has to find that element that on nights where the goals aren't going in, you've still got something that you can rest on.
1: You know, people used to they, – they said going into the bubble when the Blues were playing those play-in games, JR, that you can't just flip a switch and play playoff hockey. Like, you got to build into it. You can't just flip a switch in a game where all of a sudden you're playing a gritty style. Like, last night, and Joey said it going into the third period, he said, this is gut check time. You've lost two straight games. You've lost one of those two against the Central Division. You're playing another Central Division opponent. Nashville's not a good team in the third period. They gave up the most goals in the season in the third period. It's gut check time. But you can't just flip a switch and be all of a sudden a gritty team. And possessing the puck is the biggest thing for me. I always go back to that Minnesota Wild series, JR, and it wasn't the skill that won that series. It was pushing back against the Minnesota Wild in the offensive zone where they were possessing the puck so well, and then all of a sudden the Blues would come swarming in and you couldn't get the puck off of their stick. And I I hate to do this because I know people are still sour about it, but when I say grit, I think David Perron. Like, David Perron's style is what I think the Blues are lacking right now. And not saying that they need David Perron on this team, they have the offensive skill. But you've seen the juggling of the lines. Craig Berube in the last game had Jake Neighbors and Braden Chen playing with Ryan O'Reilly because those two guys go after pucks and, along the boards. They move Kairu down with Thomas and Tarasenko because Thomas and Kairu are very similar players. No coincidence, though, that that line struggled last night. Like, they just, you got to have that... that that nice mixture of the guys who have the skill, but somebody's got to be able to win those board battles. Yeah,
4: and you can define grit so many different ways, right? And we've already referenced two or three different ways. Uh, but you make a good point with David Prani he's a good puck protector. And what have we seen? We're talking about Jordan Cairo, What's been one of his issues? He's getting knocked off the puck mm-hmm. if, if he's got it. So, you know, when you're in the third period and it's a – one-goal game or it's a tied game, which the Blues had been in a lot, you know, the past couple uh, games there, it's a situation where you can't lose the puck like that and it's back the other way. That's what we're talking about with some of the turnovers. Yeah, some of the turnovers can be trying to force a a seam pass across the middle, you lose it and it's going back the other way, but another type of turnover can be Jordan Cairo or somebody else getting knocked off the puck and you lose it. And so that's what the blues are going to have to develop when and and they have it with some guys but when you get in a third period it's a tight game you can't be losing those types of things pucks in the corner are some of the things that we've seen
1: so uh, along the lines of grit nolachari alexei torpchenko nathan walker these guys are the leaders in terms of hits on this team and again hits do not describe grit like we're talking about but The fourth line is interesting because T-Bone brought this up. You know, On the ice this season, uh, they've allowed 29 scoring chances against. But they're one of the few lines on this team that have not allowed a goal against. When you look at the fourth line, JR, I think it's been good. I also think that they're trying to find that identity still with three new guys playing together. Has that fourth line been better than what those numbers show or... Are they just getting lucky right now?
4: Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I can think of some some of those scoring chances where you're like, yeah, you know, could they
1: got hemmed in their own with Edmonton uh, Wednesday night? Yeah,
4: and I think that's going to happen against fourth lines, especially I mentioned earlier they've played the four road games, so the last change is going to have an impact on that. But I think they've been pretty good. Like, uh, Yeah, they've had their hiccups, but I think we, we've seen Nathan Walker fight ferociously. I think I tweeted the other night, like, this guy's not afraid of anything. Oh, yeah. He just goes into any battle. Toropchenko, first of all, who would have ever thought he was playing in October? Never. He was supposed to be back in December. I think he's been better than we could have and
1: expected. He hadn't had any preseason. So this is still the preseason for Alexei Toropchenko yeah, right now. Yeah.
4: And then Achari, you throw in Achari, I think he's been a, a good pickup, and I think that line has the chance uh, to be what they – want it to be are they going to get hemmed in are they going to give up some goals this year sure it's a good sign though you know the results right there so they have had a lot of scoring chances against it's going to happen against fourth lines they haven't getting up given up any and i think that's what we need to look at we
1: don't know what the health is going to be like before tomorrow's game we don't know if people are going to be back or not going to be back i would imagine not considering that they're not skating today but let's say health is on their side jr what's the ideal setup in terms of lines that you think would work offensively with chemistry.
4: Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of piecing this together as I talk, but I think you have to start with Bucicnevich, Thomas, Tarasenko. So you don't break that up, in your opinion? Not not right now. I just think that it, we're talking healthy. We're talking back in the lineup. We're you know we're not working them back in the lineup. Talking about Bucinevich. Uh That's the group that I like. Um, I didn't like Saad, O'Reilly, and Cairo. And Cairo but if you can get Shen up there on that line perhaps you go Shen O'Reilly Cairu and then i think it's got to be like a Barbashev type on that third line to kind of anchor that and so if it's Neighbors alongside of them you know we'll see so that's probably where i'd go but i know you're probably questioning you'd stick with that because maybe if we don't like Kairou and O'Reilly together you want to see Cairu with Thomas and Tarasenko,
1: but see, but but the other part of me too wonders, and again, you can't do this right now. You wonder what Navich with O'Reilly and Kyrou looks like. Since Buc is such a impactful player, maybe he and Kyrou get together. But then you're putting um, Brandon Saad. I mean, I liked Saad Thomas and Kyrou at times last season, so maybe Saad Thomas Tarasenko is an option for you and then you're moving Shen down. But the thing is, Shen has played well for... He's one of the uh, he's one of your leading point scorers this season to where you need more ice time for Braden Shen. That's just... The weird part is that third-line center position because you can fill the void of the wings on that third line, but if Logan Brown, and according to Bruby yesterday, they took him out of the lineup because they just said, like, he's just not up to speed yet, and rightfully so. He missed two weeks of preseason. Um, but if Logan Brown's not there, I haven't liked Ivan Barbashev as the centerman because I think Barbashev's better as a winger but you got a lot of guys who are better as a winger right now than nobody who's taking over that center position. Yeah, I mean, it would be
4: a luxury, to, I think, to have Shen on that third-line center, which I think he's probably the best fitted for, Absolutely. It, for that. The only thing is I just don't like Saad up on the, on that top line. Yeah. I think Saad uh, is a, you say third-line player, it's because you have the Tarasenko, Thomas, Absolutely. Buchnevich. So a third-line player. If you have Brandon Saad on, on that left wing on that third-line I think you're in good shape, but it can't be against Shen because if Sod's uh, not at the top, then Shen has to be there.
1: The problem too is like Brandon Saad might be a third line winger, but next season, unless you're making significant changes, Brandon Sod's a top six winger for you yeah. because of that contract. He's on this team. So It's going to be interesting to see how they match up with Montreal again tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, 5 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in 15 minutes, we've got your chance to win Smashing Pumpkins tickets, but coming up next, it's One's Gotta Go. You send us scenarios, four options. We'll tell you which one has to go one's got to go with jr next year on 101 espn
0: we're right back to the bk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn this is bk and ferrario time now for one's gotta go we offer up the talking points and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 espn
2: Count that that big
1: pen. Winding things down here on BK and Ferrario. Appreciate Jeremy Rutherford uh, sitting in for BK today. I know I've seen all the text messages. Is BK dead? Is he fired? Where's he at? Uh, BK will be back with us supposedly on Monday. I'll
3: believe it when I see it. If
1: there's one thing we know with BK vacations, the vacations extended a couple of days once he gets back into town. Yeah, true. You know, something wrong with the house. The dog himself, <laughs> but L- we'll see. Lamenting his pick, Yeah, but BK <laughs> is going to be back. Yeah, probably that. He's going to be back with us on Monday. Let's start with this. One's got to go. Hot tub with T-Bone edition. BK in the hot tub. JR in the hot tub. Ferrario in the hot Not tub. Not fair. B- I think it's pretty obvious this one. Get one the hell out of there. Oh, sorry. I didn't add in the last one. Uh, T-Bone's blow-up dial in the hot tub. <laughs> Get rid of BK.
3: BK would complain the whole time. The water is too warm. The is w- too cold. God, he
1: complains every time he walks into the studio. cold in here. It's too hot in here. Yeah, I think I'd have to throw BK out but on this one. Get him one. out of here. He's gone. JR, who do you uh, dislike the most on this show? Wow, this is a tough one. I would probably throw myself out of there. <laughs> God, see, that's the way to go about this one. What Play a team player. What a team player in that one. One's got to go. Candy edition. Kit Kat, Snickers, Butterfingers, Reese's. We're going the buttercups, I guess. Jr., if you missed it yesterday, Alexa and I uh, agreed that Reese's peanut butter cups are disgusting, but that's Reese's just, that's, pieces that's, are good. That's just insanity, right. isn't it? What? Boom! Dead right? JR, Unbelievable. With the, Jr. with the walk-off. I could eat a wheelbarrow of Reese's pieces. But the peanut butter cups
4: are nasty. They're okay. It's just too much peanut butter. It's nasty. Yeah. yeah. All right. Which one, Jr you throwing away the Reese's here? Uh, yeah, I'm throwing away the Reese's because right. I'm a Kit Kat guy. I'm a Snickers guy. I'm a Butterfinger guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> of all of those except for the <laughs> all Reese's all that, peanut yeah, butter yeah. cups. And I can be a Reese's guy. but uh. <laughs> Whatever you want. T-Bone, you, uh, you like the Reese's, so which one are you going to embarrass do. yourself I, with?
3: <laughs> you know, I like all these, but I would get rid of the Butterfinger because Butterfinger oh, always no gets like, stuck in your teeth. Uh, it's kind of annoying. That's I say way, you got to get rid of the Butterfingers here. They're, they're the easy one. Get them out of here. No way. All
4: three of those, too. The, the Kit Kat, Snickers, Butterfinger. Put them in the refrigerator for about an hour. Pull it out.
1: Little put those. Mix. Yeah, you put those Snickers in the freezer, and oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, one's got to go. No addition. Mizzou football becomes bowl eligible. The Cardinals make no significant significant additions to the roster. Alex loses five more pick em challenges, or the Blues don't make the playoffs. <laughs> So I'm gonna let's 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 amend this one. Not Mizzou becomes bowl eligible because Which that's that pretty obvious. That was gonna go. Uh, Mizzou fires Eli Drinkowitz. Let's go. One's gotta go. What you don't want to see happen? Edition. Don't
4: want to see happen.
1: Yeah, I know mine. Losing five more picks. That's just not gonna happen, and uh. I can't let it happen. So that's the one that's gotta go here. I take that over the Blues missing the playoffs.
3: Oh, man. I got
4: I gotta go with. Uh, you know, I get this relationship with Blues fans, right? So I can't see them go through the misery of missing the playoffs. Yeah, that so would be go. too difficult.
1: But you don't want to see me go through the misery yeah, of I my do. pain. That's oh, okay. exactly, yeah, I come do. On. Well, that's I, uh, that's cold, Jay. I thought we were close.
3: See, I would do the Cardinals one of not see them make any significant offseason moves, especially because I just don't want to come into uh, wherever we're at for opening day next year and all we got to talk about is it's the same offense. They didn't do anything. Well, they said they're going to increase payroll. I oh, know it didn't happen. Like, I, I can't handle going through to, that. So To me, that would be epic. Like, I'm a Cardinals fan. I want them to do well. Oh. I want them
1: to
4: bring somebody in.
1: I know but you like chaos, JR, they, but, but you no.
4: said, but you said. <laughs> uh,
1: that that I don't want to go sense. through that. Uh, one's got to go Halloween edition, trick-or-treating, go to a Halloween this party or easy. costume party, carving pumpkins or a bonfire. Super easy. Trigger treating? No. You get your kids candy, right? I'd love trigger
4: treating. The pumpkins have to go. The carving of the pumpkin has oh, to go. Are you kidding it is me? awful. And you know, people talk about oh all the, all these memories that you have with your kids and I remember when we used to carve pumpkins, things like that. No. Look, these things that I'm showing you right now, these typing fingers, <that> these are go. called money makers. In any situation where you might be cutting one of them off with one of these big machetes, and, and it doesn't do anything. You do all this work for this pumpkin. You put it out on the porch, and two weeks later, they're taking it out in the trash. No.
3: got to go. I'm with JR. Get the we pumpkin see carving out is. of here. Get the, get the pumpkin carving out of here. It's, it's Discussing cutting those things open, picking out the uh, seeds. Now, Jr., maybe this will change your mind. I saw this on Twitter the other day. A oh yeah, the blender. A live hack where you use the not. It's not a blender. What are those things called? Where it's got like two. uh, yeah. tongs on called, it. The and mixer, like the hand mixer. Mixers, yeah. Hand mixer. Where you put it in and then you put mix it in up in all the stuff. Put in the pumpkin and it'll get all those seeds out. Then all I got to do is go in and set a rip. them out, you and just go the, clean Don't you cook the, the seeds,
1: though, from the pumpkin? I oh, guess Ferrari, we've done it over the years. Ferrari was a
3: psychopath. He loves pumpkin That's the goat, seeds. man. Yeah. You put some butter and some
1: sea salt oh, on those gross. things. That's That's... That's prime snack food right there. But, but the, like, when you cut
4: into the pumpkin, it's kind of gross. It's the seeds. It's the stringy stuff. Oh, yeah. Stuff. I stuck
1: my daughter's hand in it, and she just held her hand out and cried because she yeah. wanted it off.
4: Like, if, if you cut it open and there was, like, crushed up Butterfinger in there, you could just, like, grab at it and yeah. eat it while you're oh, carving the pumpkin. Okay, be that'd be fine, about. but not the stuff I like how there. he said yeah. these
1: are the moneymakers. What are you cutting your pumpkins with, Jr. Axes? <laughs> my goodness. Uh, one's got to go. Where was this one at? Uh, okay, one's got to go. This, uh, we had this one last week, JR, and I'm curious. They, they want to get your take on this one. One's got to go. Players you don't want to be traded away addition. So past trades that have taken place or guys who have left walk, players you wish, the one's got to go where you're fine with them moving on, if that makes sense. Perron, Oshi, Petrangelo, Ben Bishop. Oh, man. I know. This one was difficult. I said the TJ Oshi one because if I had, or I'm sorry, I didn't say the TJ Oshi. I always confused myself with this. I said the TJ Oshie one because I said I would like to have that trade back because I think he would have been an impactful piece still on this team.
4: Yeah. So the guy that I pick is the guy
1: who that, I was that sorry you would to have, see go. Yeah, that you would have back here. Okay. You said Petrangelo, Bishop, Bishop Perron, Oshi.
4: Yeah. Well.
1: It's a tough one.
4: Yeah, it is a tough one. You know, Perron, I think, is, is a tough one because he was just so good to uh, the media, fun to deal with. Uh, Oshi, you know, I think it worked out okay, right? I mean, he's been a good player in Washington, and you know, Troy Brower. It's not like uh, the Blues won that trade, but what I'm saying is they went on to, you know, find the right pieces and win a Stanley Cup, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Petrangelo is a tough one, but I think that uh, you know, Falk has really stepped up. Um, ben Bishop is my guy. He's one of the Best guys you'll ever want to meet, But uh, that might be the situation because I, I think that uh, he went on and had some success, right? Uh, but would he have had that success in St. Louis? We don't know. So I, I guess in that situation, I love you, Ben, if you're listening, but he's probably my
1: guy Got gotcha. you. Uh, from the 636, one's got to go a keg, a bottle of wine, a bottle of bourbon, a bottle of champagne. This is easy. Bottle of champagne is nasty. What happened to you
4: typing them into the computer? So oh, i could sorry read about them here. that. What are they?
1: I'll pass them over to you. Keg, <laughs> bottle of wine, bottle of bourbon, bottle of champagne.
4: Okay,
1: I'm getting rid of the champagne.
4: Yeah, champagne's nasty. Easy. That's I don't easy.
1: know who drinks champagne.
4: Yeah, we're Fancy not getting rid people. of the
3: cake. I was gonna say,
1: no. I was gonna say, God, no. was gonna say keg and a, bourbon are here.
3: There's a reason that champ The only time you see champagne is when it's being sprayed in guys' like faces after they've won it, won something in sports. So and it
1: burns. Yeah. Why, it doesn't why would taste you want to drink something that burns? I, I don't.
3: I would get rid of champagne as well. That one's an easy. Get it out of here. Uh, one's got to go. Halloween movie edition. Friday
1: the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, and Saw. Oh, man. T-Bone, have you even seen any of these four?
3: Mm, No, but I don't like scary movies, so get them all the hell out of here.
1: What's wrong with you, man? Too spooky. So Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, or Saw, JR? Uh, I think I've seen all four of them at different points. Don't
4: remember much about a couple of them i 'm gonna get rid of saw but here's the thing I'm a big pansy so like maybe if my <laughs> wife is there to cuddle or like protect me or make me feel comfortable then uh, then maybe we'll watch the movie
1: yeah I, I, I think saw is the one on this one all the other ones are, are too good to yeah. get rid of you get rid of saw there's not much with that
4: one saw I, I gotta the, tell is, you this
3: Is saw the one with the guy who says do you want to play a game yeah jigsaw okay, okay, regardless what of
4: what they said in the movie it's called saw I can't be can't be that good it's not Disney <laughs> hey, but I gotta tell you how scared like this is how wimpy I am one time my wife and I heard a noise in the basement she led the way. No.
1: I was behind her. Jr. <laughs> my man. I was behind her. Come on, you got him. You got him, Sarah. <laughs> let's figure Are you the type of person where you hear a noise and you make her get out of bed? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Hey, Go get this go one. Go check that out. I mean, I, yeah. I can't say that I'd be the one that's like jumping out of the bed to go find out, but I don't know if I'd have to push my <laughs> wife in front of me on that one. Uh, let's do a couple more before we get out of here. One's got to go Halloween costume edition. A vampire, a witch, a mummy, or Frankenstein.
3: Oh, I think this one's easy. I'm saying mummy because that sounds like a lot of work to get yourself dressed up as a mummy. Wrapping no, all man. that toilet, you just paper, wrap around toilet you? paper
1: around you. Oh,
3: that sounds annoying as hell. Get that out of here. I don't want to do that.
1: JR, you love Halloween. You love dressing up for Halloween.
3: I don't think there's enough wrap to mummify
4: this body. Yeah, <laughs>
1: no, so no no no, you can. That's <laughs> good, man. You're good with that.
4: Uh I no, I'll I'll stick with Tanner there. I like my uh, mummy gone.
1: I think I'd get rid of Frankenstein. That's just,
3: can I, can I, I can I like give a little teaser on something here too? What? One of the punishments this year, and we, we haven't put it up yet just because it's not the season is to go out to a Christmas festival, dressed in a Halloween costume like this, like a vampire or something like that and go sing Christmas carols for 30 minutes. And I'm so looking forward to it. Even if I lose, I'm so down to do it.
1: I, uh, I'm very not looking forward to that I one. I so want Ferrari
3: to be the one, too.
1: It's not even standing out there in the in the costume. I'll do embarrassment all day. I just don't want to have to sing for 30 minutes.
3: I think what Tanner's
4: doing here is reverse psychology. He would not want to do that. So he's oh, no. To I know would exactly. I, know I would exactly so love to, to
3: do that. I love the Christmas music. I've already, the hot- started, I've already started listening to Christmas music.
1: What I've learned with Tanner is you got to make him do something that makes him uncomfortable because we did the hot sauce thing with him last week, and he was fine with it but he threw up on the beer mile. So we got to do something that makes him uncomfortable.
4: Hey, can we ask people on text line? This has always been a debate. Uh, Do you go out with your kids, trick or treating and walk the subdivision with them? Or are you the person who wants to sit back in your own driveway with the bonfire and hand out the candy?
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, Since my girls are young now, I think I'd like to go with them. But like five years from now, I think I'd rather be the guy that sits on the driveway with a bonfire and hand out candy. That would be more enjoyable. But now is like, like I told Katie this, she's one and a half. So from like now until she's five or six years old, I want to go with them. But once you hit that threshold, it's like, now then you can go. And I'll just wait and take the candy afterwards. Yeah, I'm
4: driveway guy. They come back. Hey, we went trick or treat. Oh, you did. Oh, great. And
1: then you take all their candy. Oh, yeah.
4: What do the textures think? Let's find out.
1: I, uh, none, none of them like trick or treating, JR. You know that. That's fun. I, I'm,
3: I'm none of the above. I am out on both of those. Oh, yeah.
1: Tanner turns his lights out and makes sure nobody knocks on his door. Yeah. Because he I, hates Halloween. I,
3: I'm not a Halloween guy. I'm not well, not like my least favorite holiday maybe. Well, he's got to get back to the inflatable girlfriend.
1: <laughs> yeah, that hot tub in the middle of his apartment, right? <laughs> Got to get out there, T-Bone. Got to get out there. Tanner Hendrickson, Jeremy Rutherford, and Alex Ferrario. Hey, if you want your shot at winning Smashing Pumpkins tickets, you can be a part of the contest right now. If you're Texter 101 and can tell us what Tanner wants to purchase for his patio at his apartment, you will win two tickets to see Smashing Pumpkins with special guest Jane's Addiction next Tuesday night, November 1st at Enterprise Center. If you're not the winner, you get a bonus chance to win free tickets now at 101. ESPN.com or on your 101 ESPN app. We'll close it out with a rewind next year on 101 ESPN.
0: We're right back to the PK and Ferrario Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
1: out here on BK and Ferrari. Once again, a huge thank you to Jeremy Rutherford for stepping in for BK today. No problem. missed anything from any of the show, we talked with Scotty Upshaw earlier in our program. Hashtag Great conversation. Yeah, hashtag uh, Jimmy Rutherford over here, as Scotty likes to call him. Uh, really fun conversation, though, with him talking about the Blues, and specifically Jordan Cairo as a young player with that big contract. Uh, so you can check it out after the show, podcast page, 101 ESBN.com. Thanks to our friends at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, and you can find Find out what our picks are for the Week Eight BK and Ferrario Pick'em Challenge, and what the punishments will be uh, for the loser after this weekend. And before we close things out and hand things over to the Fast Lane, JR, let's wrap up where we started. Um, in the Blues, a-, a loss to the Nashville Predators last night. They're back on the ice tomorrow against Montreal. You know they get a back-to-back out of the way. Now they are home for three consecutive games. I don't know if there's anything that can change anybody's opinion about the offense from how they've played the last couple of games until you get health back on their side. But if if you continue this losing skid, I think more and more alarms will start to go off for Blues fans when you've got Montreal and then L.A. in LA, town. yeah.
4: No, for sure they need to get this thing right. You, you can't lose four or five in a row. and uh, you, They will get some bodies back here at some point. We don't know how soon with Buchnevich and Saad. Uh, as you mentioned, they did not practice today. The team did not practice today. I think it was a scheduled day off. Uh, for all the people out there who say, you have to practice after you lost three in a while. Okay, well, there are built-in days off that you have to take CBA-related. So uh, the Blues not on the ice today. But, Alex, uh, I, I, I go back to it. Uh, they're going to have to get cleaner with the puck, and players are going to have to stop pressing. That's the bottom line. And, listen, 82-game schedule. We see this stuff happen all the time where teams go through the funks. I think it was Braden Shen last night who said that you know ours came a little bit earlier. Maybe Tori Krug said that. But uh, ours came earlier than we hoped. And it's here right now, and they're trying to figure how to get out of it.
1: it so many people are going to be talking about Jordan Kyru Jr. I think, no matter what he does. It's kind of like the Colton Pareko syndrome. Like, no matter what he does, you're going to be viewing it as, well, he should be better because of the money that's tied into him. I don't know if there's anything that he can do in the next couple of games that can make people a little bit easier on him. For me, he is getting shots on goal. I mean, he ended the game last night, I think, with five of them. He's got 16 shots on goal through six games so far this season. For you, is there anything that can change with Jordan Cairo early on other than scoring goals?
4: Yeah, just use his teammates, and he's got a unique talent that he can do a lot of things on his own, but he makes himself better if he's using his teammates. So, you know, just don't overplay the puck like Craig Berube was talking about the other day, and just be part of the offense. Go out there and make plays that's going to help everybody come together and play the game. You're going to have your situations where you get a loose puck and you're on a breakaway. That's going to happen five times this year. He's going to score five breakaway goals. But he's got to be doing the smaller things, being a lot more responsible in his defensive end, and just being a team player.
1: We'll see if they can do that tomorrow against Montreal, a team that uh, has uh, coming off of a loss, I believe, but also a team that has allowed the most high-danger scoring chances in the National Hockey League. So Jake Allen and the Montreal Canadiens come to town tomorrow. Again, a 6 o'clock puck drop, a 5 o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. For JR, for Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Alex Ferrario. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday for more BKN Ferrario, but stick around. The fast lane comes your way next year on 101 ESPN.
2: It's amazing. The PCs are for the birds, and the cups are for the men.
0: You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2: Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music
1: and the right motivation from world-class instructors.
3: We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of.